Chair, staff is ready when you are. Okay. Thank you very much. Good evening and welcome to the September 19th, 2022 Measure U Community Advisory Committee meeting. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish quorum? Thank you, Chair. <laughs> Members, please unmute and turn on your video. Member Cooney? Here. Thank you. Member, Member Cresswell? Will be absent. Member Dickinson? Member Dickinson, I do have you on the call. Yes, present. Thank you. Member Gorris? Present. Thank you. Member Kibble? Present. Thank you. Member Mora is absent. Member Odo Kent is absent. Member Perez? Member Perez is absent. Member Prey? Here. Thank you. Member Riviera? Here. Thank you. Member Sala? Here. Thank you. Vice Chair Williams? Here. Thank you. Chair Kofer? Present. Thank you. We have a quorum. Thank you. This meeting is virtual via Zoom. For members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you've joined the meeting and wish to speak, you can choose raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you are online, click raise hand at the bottom of your screen. If you're using a mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option under the more tab. And if you're calling in by telephone, to raise your hand, dial star nine. Then to unmute or mute, dial star six. You will be called on by the last four digits of your phone number, and you will have three minutes to speak once you're called on. We will now proceed to today's agenda. We will start with the land acknowledgement. If you are able, please rise for the opening acknowledgement in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nishanon people, the Southern Maidu Valley and Plains Miwok, the Patwin-Wintoon peoples, and the people of Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. We will now start out the meeting with a special presentation. We wanted to recognize the service of former committee member Gina Luan. Um, and so this is a presentation that I am going to give. I was hoping that member Luan was going to be able to join us today because she has been a member of this committee since we were first established um, in April of 2019 and has been through the storms with us, has served on several of our ad hoc committees. Um, and it's really just been a pleasure to be able to work with her and have her voice in this space. And so at last um, month's meeting, um, she informed us that she was no longer able to serve because of uh, bandwidth and capacity issues. She has a brand new venture that she is undertaking that is taking up a lot more of her time. And so we just wanted to, on the record, I always like to acknowledge people who have been, been with us and have served in this capacity because it's not easy work. It is unpaid work. 
Um, and I think the the one way that we can we can sort of honor and um, and give the appropriate credit to people who have been on this journey with us is to publicly recognize them for their service, for their contribution of time and energy and effort, because it is most appreciated. So to Gina, wherever you are this evening, um, if you're not with us, we just wanted to say a big thank you for your time and offer you a round of applause from your colleagues and friends here on the Measure You Committee. We hope to hear from you on public comment um, or in other ways in the future. So thank you, Gina. And if any other members wanted to say something um, to Gina, <laughs> uh, this is obviously recorded, so it will be available. And I see Member Kibble. Um. Well, I just wanted to say uh, it has been great working with um, Member Lujan and, as you say, been through the trenches, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, and uh, just a wonderful uh, colleague and just grateful for the opportunity to work with Member Lujan and best of luck with your new adventures. And next, see Member Dickinson. Uh, I, too, would like to add my thanks to uh, Member Lujan, uh, particularly for her um, insights grounded in her lived experiences um, that brought uh, really exceptional, special, and needed insights to our work. And uh, we will miss that and uh, definitely appreciated what she did bring to the committee over these years. Thank you to the members and to Member Luan. We uh, really appreciated what you've given to us and look forward to seeing you out in the community doing the great work that you're always doing. So thank you again. Our first uh, business today is the approval of the consent calendar. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers with their hands raised for the consent calendar. Okay. Um, are there any members who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, is there a motion a second to pass the consent calendar? Uh, member Frey? I so move. Okay. Member Dickinson? I second. Okay, um, it has been moved and properly seconded. Will the clerk please call the roll for the vote? Thank you, Chair. Members, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Member Cooney? Aye. Thank you. Member Cresswell? Is absent tonight. Member Dickinson? Aye. Thank you. Member Gorris? Aye. I'm sorry, just... To be clear, was that a aye? aye? Thank you. Member Kibble? Aye. Thank you. Member Mora is absent tonight. Member Odo Kent? Yes. Thank you. Member Perez is absent. Member Prey? Aye. Thank you. Member Riviera? Aye. Thank you. Member Sala? Yes. Thank you. Vice Chair Williams? Yes. Thank you. Chair Kofer? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. Wonderful. Uh, we will now move on to our discussion calendar. I'm actually going to take this in a slightly different order than it appears in our 
agenda. Um, we have a presentation from our city's affordable housing efforts, uh, but I wanted to let everyone know that I am likely going to have to leave the meeting a little bit early. And so Vice Chair Williams will take over chairing the meeting when I leave. And so I wanted to be available to have a conversation about one of the items um, that is that is on our agenda tonight. Um, so because of that, I wanted to um, move to item six, um, which is the future committee workload needs and ad hoc committee membership roster uh, and have a conversation about that. Um, but before I begin, um, Ash, do you have anything you wanted to add to this item? I do not. Um, just to flag that um, we're asking for you to take a vote tonight, um, amending the playbook that was previously adopted by the committee. Yes, um, that is one of the other items that we are also going to take um, a vote on. And we wanted to make sure that um, Kristania from the Participatory Budgeting Project is going to be able to join us when we move to that item tonight. Um, so uh, for those who were um, who have been following along, we've had several conversations um, during items uh, not on the agenda about uh, the proposal that came from the Personnel and Public Employees Committee to uh, to among other things to do away with uh, the establishment of ad hocs, and um, that passed City Council in a five four vote on April, I mean, on April, on August 29th, August 30th. Um, so what that means for us is that we, um, our ad hocs that exist can exist through December 31st. And then starting on January 1st of 2023, we will no longer be allowed to form ad hocs. Um, that also means that on the record here, we cannot state that we are forming ad hocs. Um, the League of Women Voters and uh, many of the chairs and vice chairs of many of the boards, committees, and commissions raised some logistical concerns about this um, to the, the, the council, which is why it was a five to four vote, um, because several of them heard our cries and thought we made some reasonable arguments. But unfortunately, we were unable to prevail. And so in response, I don't want our committee to be stuck in a place where we're unable to work. Um, so while we know and we try to explain that our ad hocs are a way to be able to avoid violating the Brown Act by stating on the record which group of less than a quorum of members are going to be talking about a particular topic, they were not swayed by that. And so we now have to go through a formal process of establishing subcommittees. Unfortunately, subcommittees require the approval of both the PNPE committee as well as um, they also require the approval of city council. Um, they can be established for longer than a year, but also all of their meetings have to be agendized, publicly noticed, um, and, and published through Granicus and broadcast live. Um, I did try to impress upon them that a lot of this was going to be us editing Google Docs in real time, uh, but that was not enough to be able to slay them against this recommendation. So because of that, um, I drafted a memo describing historically how we have done things and the rationale for our committees, because it does take a while to get to PMPE and to council. And so I'm hoping that um, we will be able to approve that memo, sending that memo over to PMPE tonight, so that at their next meeting, provided that it's not canceled, like the one before this was, they will be able to take up this um, proposal and pass it along to the council so that at least our committee will have its established and necessary subcommittees to be able to be in effect by January 1st. So that is what is attached to your packet this evening um, as it relates to this item. And so, um, I think before we go to public comment, I would just like to hear comments from 
our committee members. Member Kibble. Well, that, that's just super disappointing. And I'm just wondering if, um, if you know, there'll be a change in the council in the new year, if this can come back, uh, it can be revisited. I mean, I know there's that other committee that makes the recommendations, but I just wonder if that might be something worth considering. Because I, I feel like, wow, that, that's just a really um, uh, an effective way of shutting us down. And clear, like, I, I just feel like everybody should just, on councils and boards and commissions, should just say, I quit. And maybe that's what they want people to do. But, you know, th that's, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm lean, leaning toward leaving this committee anyway in the new year. And this has pushed me to definitely do that. So I'm just super disappointed. Member Kibble. Uh, Member Sala. Um, yes, I was very disappointed. I, I listened in on the whole discussion. And I, I have to tell you that um, Chair Kofer was, was incredibly articulate and very clear about the effects that getting rid of ad hocs would have on all the work that all of the committees and commissions do. And, um, and at one point I thought she was almost convincing the mayor to, to think about what, what really they were proposing because it was her questions were very direct and made perfect sense. And their statements made no sense at, at all, and especially when they spoke about transparency and documenting discussions, um, they're getting rid of ad hocs and allowing people to meet for coffee, if you will, go to Fox and Goose, and literally they said Fox and Goose, and meet and have discussions. They're informal discussions, but you can still have discussions. And that was just mind-boggling to me. Um, it made no sense. So. Uh, our, you know, chair did her best to represent the wishes of of most everyone that was of, that sits on commissions and committees, because we all know the work that's required to to be able to advance these items. And you know, this whole participatory budgeting—if you didn't have the ad hocs, would not we wouldn't be where we're at. Uh, but I also do believe that with the new council, we're going to have five, potentially six new council members. And I believe that we can revisit that and it will be um, changed because no one's happy with this outcome. And, um, and so I, I think it's worth, once we have a new council, getting it back on the agenda and having them revisit it and, and overturn their decision. That's it. Thank you, Member Sala. Member Gores? Hey. Thank you, Madam Chair. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great, thank you. Uh, I want to get on record also and uh, um, mirror the comments of my fellow uh, commission members. Extremely disappointing. It's really, really sad. 
And I want to thank you publicly, Madam Chair, for the fight and trying to really get um, our, our uh, communities in the conversation. Uh, so thank you for that. And uh, another note, I want to apologize to the commission and my fellow commissioners uh, for missing our last couple of discussions. Uh, work has got me kind of uh, going in, in different directions. So for that, I apologize. And I want to make sure that we're clear that I'm very committed to the, to the work that we have. So thank you. Thank you, Member Boris. Member Dickinson. Thank you. I, I too share the um, the views of uh, of the chair and Member Sala, Member Kibble, and Member Goris, um, and would like and and also appreciate the quick proactive um, action on the part of the chair to um, get our key. Um, historical ad hocs um, established as um, committees. To that end, I have a couple of questions if we're ready to go there. Okay. Um, first, um, on the um, uh, guidelines on page one, the guidelines where written reports, uh, are those... So those are our, our guidelines. Those were our guidelines just so that they, they could better understand how we operated oh, okay. at the time. So these were just historically how we operated and okay. then what our request was. So historically you had to have an oral report, but written reports were encouraged, especially if we were going to consider something fuller, right? So an example of that would be the playbook or the annual report or right. our, our you know budget recommendations. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. And then um, on the meeting schedules, um, if there is, do these committees operate with quorums? And if there aren't quorums for um, for those meetings, what happens? That is a very good question, and one I'm not sure that I have an answer to. I know the clerk has said that she will be attending our October meeting and providing the official update on the um, policy that passed. So I think that's a question that we may be able to hold over if staff don't feel comfortable answering it right now. Um, I, I will say that under meeting schedules, one of the things that I included in um, is the ability to call emergency meetings that came up, if you are able, it was the only actual item on the under the discussion calendar for the council meeting on the 30th of August. And so that came up as, you know, Councilmember Valenzuela said, like, we're taking away, we don't have staff to be able to do this work and so that we do it through ad hocs. And then we're taking away this ability to be able to meet and do this work, but also we're taking it away from people who don't have the ability to call emergency meetings and don't have the flexibility that we have as the council. So it doesn't seem fair. So I included that as a recommendation that we have the ability to call meetings because that's what we need to be able to do as a subcommittee. And if you're taking away our ability to have ad hocs, then you need to give us the ability to have some flexibility around when we're going to meet. Yeah, I, and I totally agree with that. And I was looking at the flip side of that sort of where a couple of these committees we have um, as weekly meetings. And th that's, a, that's a lot of meetings for, and uh, not that they're not needed, and that right. we haven't been doing it, but it is a lot of meetings for us as volunteers. And frankly, it's a lot of meetings for uh, to be um, posted, staffed, the whole nine yards that apparently needs to happen uh, from now on. And I'm just wondering, you know, if we don't have a quorum for a weekly meeting, 
what happens? Does all that work get done? And then just sorry, folks, um, when it's convened or, or, and again, that might be a question for the clerk on our October meeting. I mean, you know, obviously <laughs> I'm biased in my perspective on it, but I don't <laughs> think it was a very well thought out policy proposal. And I think even when the League of Women Voters first sent a rebuttal argument to the May meeting of PMPE, um, four months passed and they made really no changes to this, this section of the things that were done. And I do want to say that most of the other things that were included were good things um, that I think most of us would have supported, but this was just the one that was like the glaring, you know, um, glaringly obvious in its wrongheadedness, I think, that most people who have been involved in this could speak to. And they did not push. They did not push back. They didn't. They didn't address some of the substantive concerns around logistically how would this work. Um, and I think what they're going to run up against is that, that even if each committee says we just need one subcommittee, they are going to run into a lot of challenges to be able to staff them because we barely get ten meetings a year for most of the board's committees and commissions. So I, I share your hopes that with the three incoming council members in districts one, three, and five, that and the change, obviously, the chair of PMPE will no longer be on the council. District three will no longer be on the council. So there's low likelihood that, you know, that a close vote like that five to four could be, you know, very easily uh, a seven to two vote in just a few short um, months. But I just wanted us to be prepared in case that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to continue our work because participatory budgeting and several others have have things we need to get done. And I didn't want us to be without a mechanism to do that. Yeah, and I, I really, really appreciate that. And I'm completely on board with, with what you've suggested. I do have a, another request for um, the October meeting is I'd like to have council present um, and explain um, the, uh, the ability for committee members to to meet randomly together um over coffee they, and they have and said I, we can they have just I'll, said we can't say we're going to during the meeting I, I i want council to come to our committee and tell us that directly um and, and to clarify that that is not a violation of the brown act at least not a violation of the letter of the brown act well, Member Dickinson, I can answer that the, both questions I think right now that you've had. Um, the first was, I think, is a quorum required for these um, subcommittee meetings? And since they are Brown Act meetings, a quorum would be required for any action to take place or any discussions uh, on um, the subject matter for the subcommittee. Um, so the answer to your first question is yes, it would. The second question was, what are the rules? At, at, since they are Brown Act bodies, they are, you are, members are able to meet informally. Uh, the, but Chair Cofer, I think, has enunciated it correctly, and that is that the board, or excuse me, the committee can't take action to create a subcommittee, nor can we announce them at the, at the meetings. But if you want to call any of the other uh, members and sit down with them in a number less than eight, um, you guys can certainly do that. I mean, you, uh, there are, there are other pitfalls to that, like if the seven of you meet and then have seven of you meet and then have another conversation with somebody else, yeah, that's where we're that's where we run into trouble. Um, but strictly speaking, like it, it, it's just like the council right now. If 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 five of them, or excuse me, four of them get together and uh, want to talk about a project or an item that's coming up on the agenda, 
that's not a violation. You got to be subject to the you got to be subject to the same rules, and that will be true for the uh, any subcommittees that are created as well. So, what happens if three of us decide to talk to, about something, and then uh, five more decide to talk about the same subject, not not just randomly because we can't figure out who's talking about it, and they on each other, and there's no crossover at all. Right. My mind, that's not a Brown Act violation. There's no concerted effort. The idea is that it, when you have concerted efforts to have conversations, like I said, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving you a playbook for how to, how to circumvent the Brown Act. But I, in, to my mind, if if Prey Williams and Dickinson want to get together, and at the same time you've got five other members who are meeting not at the Fox and Goose, but at Starbucks or wherever, then that's not a Brown Act violation. There's no, because there's no communication between a uh, more than uh, or between a quorum of the membership well i hear what you're saying and i appreciate you being here to um uh, to to say it um i do feel like the council action is one that puts us in a position of uh violating the spirit of the brown act if not the letter of the brown act and i as i said i share my colleagues concerns about the whole decision but thank you for being here you, Member Dickinson. Member Prey? So I, I just to go along with what everybody else has said, it just makes everything really hard. But in considering the fact that this is covered by the Brown Act, then does it make it possible for the overall body to authorize a committee, a subcommittee, to actually make decisions, which of course now those subcommittees are not authorized to do um, only to come back with the with information for the entire body to make a decision but it, does this now open the door that a subcommittee could actually make a decision on behalf of the entire committee that my the short answer for me would be no but that would depend upon how you present the pre to uh, PNPE when, when uh, Chair Kofor makes their presentation to them, that I would assume will be one of the things that they'll be asked is what, what type of authority do you want to vest in the subcommittees? Um, and when that occurs, that, that, and that may to some degree drive how uh, Chair Kofor makes a presentation and how the PNPE responds is how much authority are you taking from 15 and giving to seven, I suppose. But, and I, my understanding, and um, Ash might have more information than I do about the presentation that uh, clerk uh, Mindy Cuppy is going to provide is I think one of the things that she was going to talk about was the types of information that the PNPE was going to need in order to um, um, uh, to take action. Um, but I think that um, there's no reason why you guys can't do what you're doing tonight. I think that that's fine. Getting getting ahead of the curve, I think, is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, um, the information that PMPE will need is not final, but we did kind of preliminarily provide some advice around like staff time needed, scheduling, things like that. And then the action item as it's drafted, the staff recommendation gives the chair the authority to finalize the, the memorandum. So between the vote tonight, assuming you approve, um, that action moving forward, the chair can then 
you know, PMP comes back and says we need additional information, the chair can add that additional information without coming back to the committee for a subsequent vote. Thank you, Vice Chair Williams. Yeah, um, I, I like everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond words and how disappointed I am in, in this process, in this ordinance. I feel, you know, everyone who works on these commissions, you know, we give up our time and energy because we really want to be impactful in our city and to have our voices basically taken away from us is really disappointing. Um, the question I do have, and we may not be able to answer, it may be a question for Mindy because just in the conversations we've had tonight, when you have to go back to another committee to come back to back to us, to, I'm thinking about the process. And, and when I think about Measure U, we, there's months we don't even get to have meetings. So we don't even have a full 12 meetings a year. And the amount of work, especially with participatory budgeting right now, that has to happen, if we've got to keep going back and forth before we can even get a committee established, what happens to all the work? And so I'm, my question is, is there a timeline that says once you they get it they have to respond back within x amount of days or weeks so that we're not moving stuff for months trying to get a committee established that it's a, it's a shorter time frame because that that really concerns me waiting for the city to make those kind of decisions and we're in we're in a holding pattern until that happens that's probably you're right i think that's probably uh, i think that's probably a, a question for mindy and how quickly they're going to be and how quickly they're going to be able to respond it's also going to be a function of how often the meetings are held um i know that on here um chair cofer is proposing weekly meetings for for the first one twice month once a meeting once a month or twice a month years and that that is going to it will create some of exactly what you're talking about if it, if if the authority of the subcommittee doesn't reach where they want to go and they need the maybe the authority or the approval of the entire body, then yeah, they're recommend they will come back for recommendation just as we've done historically with ad hocs. But again, that will depend on how far the PNPE allows the subcommittee to go in terms of authority and what you guys are asking for as well. Thank you. Member Sala. Yes, I just want to say to Member Kibble, do not resign. I at first I was really angry um, after the the where the city council voted to do away with ad hoc, and that was my first reaction. And then I thought, no, that that would not serve any the the would not serve our community in its best interest because we need to stay and we need to we need to see this through and not not let our voices and our more importantly the community that we're representing um, be silenced so don't resign thank you member Sala. Here, here. um i don't see any other hands raised are there any other um additions or edits that you want to make to the memorandum as currently included we do have the ability to continue to convene our ad hocs through the end of December. So um, that that was not immediately taken away from us, but um, I think that these are some of the logistics that once other boards and commissions start making their requests are going to present some real challenges because no one talked about what the staff time was going to look like. And currently these meetings exist and this work is going on. And so we already have a business need for this, so. I'm just curious if anybody has. Member Dickinson. You're on mute. 
Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm prepared to um, move the item as proposed um, as a way to get our marker down as soon as possible with PP&E. Um, I, I remain hopeful that come uh, the first of the year that this will be revisited. But in the meantime, I don't think we can count on that. I think we need to get our, our marker down for their action um, as soon as possible. Um, and so if, if others are ready, I'm, I'm prepared to move the item. Thank you. Um, before we take, before we move to a second, um, I just wanted to find out if there are any members of the public who wish to speak on this item. Thank you, chair. I do have two hands raised. The first, yes. the first person I have is Kenyon Bliss. I am giving you the ability to speak. Greetings. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? We can. Great. Um, greetings, uh, or committee members, uh, Measure U. I, uh, my name is Keon Bliss. I am the vice chair for the Sacramento Community Police Review Commission and uh, really want to commend um, Chair Kofer and uh, all of you for the tremendous work that you've been doing um, on behalf of the city and make ensuring that uh, this special tax revenue or the special revenues that are generated uh, from our sales tax is put to uh, authentic community use uh, and, and community needs. And really just want to empathize with all of you um, as somebody that also uh, had showed up and, uh, and advocated for um, changes to this committee ordinance. Uh, just want to name that. Um, and I don't make a habit of quoting um, uh, quote, uh, quoting presidents often, but I mean, uh, I believe it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who uh, named "Ask you to," ju I asked you to judge me by the enemies that I've made, and uh, just want to name that this ordinance uh, in particular, from uh, my analysis, uh, and feel free to disagree, was intentionally designed to stymie the work of both this commission and the Community Police Review Commission um, for no other reason than we were too effective. And uh, the number of priorities that we have, or number of recommendations that our bodies have put forward, and the work that uh, that we have done as volunteers, um, and how that has been routinely ignored by a majority of city council members, uh, speaks volumes to just the blatant inaction and um, dereliction, I believe, of uh, like that the city council currently has towards its uh, like towards its advisory bodies, which is exactly what we are. I want to name too a bit of context um, that I believe uh, Chair Kofer has referenced before and other members are likely recognized for the public. One of the frustrations that we've experienced most, uh, most often is due to the lack of a standard process for handling um, our commissions and committees recommendations that are submitted to city council. And the very impetus of this ordinance uh, as it was born from, uh, from what we've seen from city council was based on the city auditor's report that found um, after auditing our commission, um, that we like that we do not have a standard process, uh, or like for reviewing recommendations, which is why our commission's recommendations in particular have been waiting on city council's desks for the better part of five years, if not more, like, if not more so. 
Um, we produce over 100 recommendations and, uh, and since our creation in 2016 and have only seen an up or down vote on one recommendation, the use of force policy that was approved last year. And I'm sure you all are just as frustrated um, with that lack of process. And one of the things that we had rate that was rightly raised was the fact that we don't we that even with the amount of time that they had to think about this ordinance, they still refused to actually include just a formal process, even when um, we had provided them the language they needed. A very simple paragraph of uh, that they could have added, quote, whenever a board committee or commission submits policy recommendations to the city council, these recommendations shall be agendized first by consideration for consideration by either the budget committee and or the law and legislation committee within 90 days of submission. The board committee or commission shall be invited to send a representative to present the recommendations. This isn't controversial. It should have easily been uh, uh, added, amended into that, but unfortunately, but uh, thanks to the cynicism of a, of a handful of city council members, they ignored that. So um, as Chair Kofor had noted, the uh, uh, personnel and public employees committee is um, meeting tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. Um, and I highly encourage us all to call in and ask about that in, in particular, because as it stands right now, they could do something about it. They could actually um, uh, put this on the agenda for next month. But I think that given that uh, three, uh, uh, two to three of them may be leaving the council at the end of this year, uh, they're really not, they really don't seem to have any interest or respect for uh, the remainder of our work that we have uh, still on their table waiting for their review. And it's going to uh, take the next city council uh, members uh, who replace them to come in and ultimately do that. So thank um, you. Thank you for your comment. Your time is up. If you would please finalize your comment. Yep. I just want to thank you all for doing the good work. Um, I totally understand the frustration and uh, on uh, not and wanting to leave this commission. But really, I mean, you're like it's bec it's because you are doing such good work uh, that you're ultimately getting this level of pushback. So want to encourage you all, but don't blame you at all if you uh, need to step off. But um, really, thank you for your. Thank you for your comment. The next comment I do have is from phone number last four. 366, Mr. Lambert. Yes, have I unmuted? I, I can't hear you. Okay. My name is Lambert Davis, and any time that I study a group that's effective and then they are um, what I call uh, made ineffective, especially if they're volunteering, this sort of behavior is intentional. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, I'm well known as uh, putting the light on practices that are intentional. You know, for instance, when they reach out to underserved communities, they always say they can't find anyone qualified. Well, now here's a group now that's doing great work, and it was so controversial that it was a five to four vote and based upon what i've studied of your practice of your uh, work you've done outstanding work and so when they say okay we can't find anyone qualified in a neighborhood like del paso heights then here comes to the bay and back cheese case which is more than qualified i mean we have more qualifications 
and so that's why I admire your uh, your integrity. Very few people at City Hall who have integrity. They'll put their finger in the wind and say, okay, it's blowing this way. But I've been studying your group for a long time. That was a very cruel thing they did, eliminating ad hoc and hiding behind the Brown Act. But they have uh, people like me who I really believe in the microscope of scrutiny. And I'm glad that the chamber is changing because it needs new blood in there because some of them will do anything if they're being backed by certain groups, even if it's against what they what they ran on. So you have a tremendous fan in me and uh, to the band back cheesecakes. We're a factor because we are their worst, their worst nightmare because we are more than qualified and we do come from an underserved community. So thank you. Thank you for your comment. The next speaker I have is Barry Boyd. Thank you, um, and good good evening. And I notice, uh, oh, there we go, you fixed the clock. Thank you, I was about to ask. Uh, how much time do I have? Because I can go on about this issue for about an hour and a half. But with that said, I concur with to just about, I believe, everything I have heard from the uh, prior speakers in regards to I believe it's code 2.40.160, the prohibition, or excuse me, the prohibiting of ad hoc committees for city of Sacramento boards, commissions, and committees. And to that, I'll, I asked the same question um, that many of you have already stated. A lack of clear documented policies and procedures on what the working group as available to them to follow has not been established. If it has, I have not seen that document. For um, uh, full disclosure, I sit on the planning and excuse me, the planning and design commission for the city of Sacramento. The Sacramento Retirement Hearing Commission, the board, uh, the Housing Code Advisory and Appeals Board for the city of Sacramento and the HCAA's chair's designee to the heritage nonprofit to which the city is uh, wanting to get rid of the Heritage Inc. nonprofit. The Heritage Inc. writes policy and procedures and funds the preservation committee. With that said, um, it is just deplorable in the actions, in my opinion, of those who were who voted in favor had the, um, who, as you see, I'm frustrated as everybody else. Um, for those on the city council who had voted in favor to fast track these city code changes without these um, proposed codes at the time going to law and legislation as is required by city code. So they simply put in the motion to bypass that authority or process, excuse me, which is absurd. This isn't asking for a couple of more bucks for a project. This is a changing of city code into which if hopefully when more folks become aware of what has transpired, the more pushback hopefully it 
uh, will come about in regards of how this city council council continues to just waive the uh, issue of following its own city codes. And to that, I say, as uh, several persons have stated, stay in your appointed seat. We have to be in the room if we're not at the table or we'll all be on the menu. Please stay where you are until I believe this hasn't uh, come to its end resolution. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Mr. Boyd. Chair, that is all the public comments I have on this item. Thank you. Okay. So I know we have a motion from Member Dickinson. Do we have a second? I see I'll Member second. Oh. I'll second the motion. Okay, we have a second from Member Prey. Um, uh, will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Thank you, Chair. Member Cooney? Aye. Thank you. Member Cresswell is absent. Member Dickinson? Aye. Thank you. Member Gores? Aye. Thank you. Member Kibble? Aye. Thank you. Member Moore is absent. Member Odo Kent? Aye. Thank you. Member Perez is absent. Member Prey? Aye. Thank you. Member Rivera? Abstain. Thank you. Member Sala? Yes. Vice Chair Williams? Aye. Chair Kofer? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. We will now move back to item number three, which is the overview of the city's affordable housing efforts. This is an oral report. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is, Chair Kofer. Thank you. I'm Danielle Foster. I'm the city's housing policy manager. And I'm joined today by Greta Seuss, associate planner in our long range planning division. And we're here to provide an overview of the city's housing efforts and a focus on affordable housing um, at the request of the committee. So we will get started. Next slide, please. So we just wanted to go over a, just general housing policy work that the city is doing, but looking at affordable housing in particular and how Measure U funds have assisted us on initiatives that we're doing and what we do above and beyond um, the Measure U funding. And so we'll look at both the definition of affordable housing um, as well as just naturally occurring affordable housing, the important role that the Sacramento Housing and Redevelopment Agency plays in this, both through public housing, um, our housing choice vouchers, or our, our rental assistance to tenants, as well as gap financing for the construction and operation of affordable housing. And then we will also highlight the city role in housing policy and affordable housing, including work we're doing around surplus properties. The city has identified our local surplus properties that could be used towards housing. We're also partnering with the state on properties that they're surplusing towards housing. Uh, we have the creation of the city held housing trust fund, um, which has incorporated both Measure U funding as well as some of the COVID response funding that has come to the city. Um, and then local policies that really support affordable housing on the city side, including our $0 impact fees, which are the development impact fees that housing development pays 
when they come into the city. So anytime they're affordable, deed restricted affordable units, they have a $0 fee for city fees. And then we also, um, in compliance with state law, do density bonus, which allows for additional housing units to be built on sites with affordable housing, as well as concessions like reduced parking standards or other planning standards that get amended for affordable housing developments. So jumping right into what is affordable housing, um, listed here first and second are the California code relating to affordable housing and the federal HUD or HERB housing and urban development definition for affordable housing. Um, but generally when we're talking about affordability, we are trying to um, work towards the goal of households paying no more than 30% of their income towards housing costs, including utilities for rental. Um, sometimes this 30% can go up slightly with certain programs and ownership pricing, but we're really trying to get somewhere in that 30 to 40% at the most. Um, we'll talk more about overpaying for housing, but this is our standard definition for affordable housing when we're talking about it. Next slide, please. So in looking at this, if we were looking at a low-income household of, 45, of two people making about $45,000 a year gross annually, um, and let's say that they're paying $1,000 a month in rent. I know they have they have a pretty good rent. <laughs> and $100 in utilities. Would this be affordable housing? So going to the next slide, in order to do a calculation, we, we look at the gross annual income, divide it by 12 to get their monthly gross annual income, and multiply it by 30% to get that capped rate. So in this case, if their affordability is at that $1,125 a month, um, the cost that they're paying, $1,000 in rent and $100 for utilities, is within that affordability range. So that is an affordable price for them. When we talk about affordable housing, it can come about in two different ways. And I touched on this a little bit earlier, but we can either finance housing in a way that the apartments themselves are at an affordable rent. We usually do this through federal, state, or local funding assistance programs that are specific to affordable housing, usually a combination of all of those and tax credits that investors can get to invest in affordable housing. Um, and because of the funding sources and the tax credits involved, these are highly regulated units. They have annual uh, monitoring, inspections. You know, we're looking at the income requirements and whether um, qualifying households are being um, provided affordable rents. And they typically are about a 55-year long-term affordability agreement with very specific income categories that are to be served. And we'll talk a little bit more about income categories and where they're at specifically in Sacramento. Um, and then sometimes, depending on how it's financed, it might be mixed income um, housing where we have both market rate and affordable units together or a wholly affordable housing project. And I just want to highlight um, the difference here between affordable housing or uppercase A, you know, deed restricted affordable housing and just naturally occurring affordable housing, which may be, you know, unrestricted, no long term affordability agreements but is a smaller unit or a unit in an area of the city that, that has lower rents overall, those don't have the long-term protections that an affordable housing project with a long-term affordability agreement would have. 
nor would they have the same level of inspection and housing quality reports that happens with affordable housing. Okay, next slide. The other way affordable housing um, by definition is provided is through direct rental assistance to tenants. Um, the biggest program being the Housing Choice Voucher Program, previously known as Section 8 Program, which is a federal funded program. Um, but there's also local and state affordable housing um, tenant-based programs where there might be a rental assistance, including an emergency rental assistance program. And the idea with these programs is that when you give the rent assistance to the tenant, they can take it anywhere that they choose to live. It disperses affordability more. Um, but there are challenges with it. There's challenges when they are competing with, you know, fair market rents, trying to get housing that is also being paid for by higher income tenants um, without federal assistance. And so needing to be both competitive in the market because we cap, um, these programs are capped at how much they can pay per tenant household. So they're not always competitive with some of our higher rent areas, although the federal government's been trying to adjust those rent rates based on zip codes in hopes of trying to be more competitive by zip code. Um, but it's still, I would say, sometimes lags behind changes in the market. And then there's still this ongoing need when we have tenant-based programs, of course, we need to have the housing stock to use them at. So we have folks with housing choice vouchers that cannot find housing to rent, right? Because it's so competitive in the market. Um, other barriers to housing can be things like, you know, credit, um, just the overall income qualifications, the costs of applying and, and paying your deposit, and um, long-term history, criminal history, other challenges or barriers that come into play when, when folks are applying for housing. So next slide, please. So looking at what incomes we try to serve uh, with affordable housing, we have certain income categories that we really focus in on. And I just want to go over it. Um, sometimes you'll hear extremely low income, very low income, low income. It's all based on a percentage of our area median income or the midpoint of incomes in our area. So for Sacramento, and we update this annually, for Sacramento, um, our current median income is at about $102,200 for a family of four. Um, and then extremely low, very low, low, they're all percentages off of that. So the zero to 30, extremely low, very low is at 50% and below, low being at 80% and below, and then moderate up to 120%. Um, one notable factor, Oh, can we go back real quick? Thanks. Um, one notable factor um, in Sacramento that you all should be aware of is just over the last year, we had a significant increase in our median income, a 12% increase, which is pretty unusual. Uh, we usually see about a 3% increase on average, but we're noticing a lot of um, you know, shifts in our housing market, a lot of folks relocating from the Bay Area and other places with the ability to work from home. And so that definitely pushed up our median income. Um, and so, and also the, the pressure on our housing market. So something to be very aware of, something we're working through on our housing policy side is just 
working to ensure even more affordability and looking at more of that workforce and low income as well, because um, the housing market continues to be pushed up and loss of naturally occurring affordability occurs. Um, and this information is provided on the, the state's housing and community development website. Okay, going on the next slide. Bye, Chair. I think she was waving. Um, so here's the overall, here's the overall um, just breakdown of where the income limits are at in the Sacramento metropolitan area for 2022. As I noted, this is updated annually. And how that can how that um, relates to affordable rents based on size of unit, whether it's a studio, one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom, and just to give you an overall sense of you know where our market is and where where folks are able to afford um, different levels of rents. And I'm happy to share these slides after if you'd like to have them for reference. Um, I know there's a lot of information in here, just trying to give you an overview of some of the things we're looking at within housing and affordable housing. The other two components we're looking at, um, so we've talked a little bit about overpaying, but really looking at the cost burden versus severe overpayment. And once households are paying more than 50% of their income, we get especially concerned. Um, because the overall goal is, you know, housing affordability is important, as we know, so that we have money to pay for other things in our lives, for food, transportation, education, clothing, all the other necessities um, to support a household and make sure that they have, you know, everything that they need for healthy living. And then secondarily, we also look at overcrowding for the same reasons. We see folks doubling and tripling up in order to afford housing, and this can also impact um, overall quality of living and health. And so these are other factors that we look at as we're looking at housing policy overall and affordability. Next slide. Related to that, I just wanted to highlight on the California Housing Partnership um, Corporation, they. They did a study a few years ago, this is from 2019, just looking at housing cost burdens in all the counties throughout the state of California. And I just wanted to pull and show the, the highlights for, for Sacramento County. And the, the light red showing cost burdens, so folks that are paying more than 30% of their income towards housing. And if you look at the far left, that extremely low income bar, of course, is the highest. So 91% of our extremely low-income households in Sacramento County are paying more than 30% of their income towards housing. But I think what's even more notable is 81% of that 91% are paying more than half of their income towards housing. And then all down the line um, in different income categories. And keeping in mind the shifts we continue to see in housing, um, you know, the, the lack of affordability is extremely challenging for our low-income folks and continues to rise as there's more competition in the market. And then on the right side, just showing the overall need for more very low and extremely low-income housing, um, specific to Sac County, looking at the, the 58,000 plus low-income renter households that don't have access to affordable housing. Again, this would be countywide. Um, but it definitely informs us as we talk more about housing policy and housing element, which I think is our next slide. 
um, Greta is going to take over and talk more about our housing element and how the state's role provides more insight into our housing policy. Yeah, thank you, Danielle. Um, hi, Greta Seuss, Associate Planner in Long Range Planning and Community Development. Uh, so the state also plays an important role in affordable housing development, ensuring that every jurisdiction adequately plans for enough housing for all income levels through the housing element process, which I'll talk about shortly. And it also provides competitive and non-competitive grant funding for housing planning infrastructure to support that housing and gap financing to construct affordable housing. Um, uh, also in July of 2021, uh, the California Department of Housing and Community Development or HCD launched the Pro Housing Designation Program. And to be eligible for that designation, jurisdictions need um, a variety of policies and programs that go beyond our, uh, the requirements of state law. Um, and by obtaining that designation of a pro-housing jurisdiction, um, jurisdictions gain additional points when competing for um, state funding for housing, transportation, and infrastructure. And this past February, uh, the city of Sacramento became the first jurisdiction in California to be awarded the borough housing designation. Um, and we are still the first. <laughs> so we're really excited about that. Um, and you know, continue to, to hold that position. Um, and of course the state passes you know, housing legislation uh, covering a variety of, of topics around housing. So with regard to uh, city roles in housing development, while the city doesn't actually construct housing, there are four main functions uh, jurisdictions have in supporting the production of housing. And for contrast, the columns on the right list, the main functions of both market rate and affordable housing developers. So the city is responsible for ensuring that there's adequate land with appropriate zoning to allow for a variety of housing types um, to meet our projected need. And the city creates and administers the review of planning applications to ensure projects meet the requirements of our development standards. Um, and planning documents like the general plan and our planning and development code or our zoning code. And we set and administer fees to recover costs and pay for impacts the development has on city infrastructure and services like parks and schools. And we also seek funding to support affordable housing and infrastructure to incentivize infill development. So our roadmap for the number of units we need to construct and the policies and programs to achieve our housing production goals for all income levels is the housing element, which is an eight year housing strategy of the city. This is a required element of our general plan and it's reviewed for state compliance by HCD. And uh, it's an eight year housing plan uh, to accommodate our fair share of our regional housing need. Um, and it provides policy guidance and implementation programs to reach our housing goals. So real quick on what the, the arena is, um, you know, I, I said it was our plan to meet our fair share of our regional housing need. Um, the regional housing need is known as the regional housing need assessment or allocation. 
Um, and this process is determined starting at the state level, going down through our regional governments, um, and they develop a methodology. Um, and, and then that's how our, our RENA allocation is developed. So our uh, RENA for 2021 through 2029 is 45,580 units. And that is broken down by income level from very low uh, housing to above moderate income housing. And if we broke that our target down over uh, each year of the planning period, we would have to produce about uh, 5,700 units annually across all income levels. And this last couple of years, we've produced a significant amount of housing. However, um, we're still sh uh, about 2,000 units short to meet that actual need. So in addition to producing uh, you know, affordable housing, uh, deed-restricted affordable housing, we need to be producing all of the, across all of those income levels, um, just overall increasing our housing production. And with regard to how we really plan for it, I talked about zoning. Um, so the state determines the affordable, the affordability level of vacant and underutilized sites um, through legislation and guidance. So income categorization is generally based off of the density of a site. So sites that are zoned for 30 units or more per acre um, are assumed to meet that lower income need while lower density sites, so looking at, you know, your single lot, single unit on a, on a large lot that is considered your above moderate income housing, whereas those higher density projects are considered to be um, those lower income zone sites. So our housing element uh, includes eight goals that create our framework to address our housing needs. And I'm going to talk about goals one through five in a little bit more detail, but happy to answer any questions about the city's work on goals six through eight as well. Um, goal one is to produce uh, 45,580 housing units by 2029. So that's just increasing our overall housing production, um, which is important for our overall supply. And we have many policies and programs to support that. One example being making revisions to our parking requirements. Um, so looking at potentially eliminating parking minimums and uh, instituting parking maximums in some areas, reducing the cost of development um, and in incentivizing housing production and allowing more attainable housing options. Another is the development of our housing development toolkit. Um, it's an online resource. Uh, we recently launched it, soft launched this week. Um, that walks users through the development process and summarizes all of the incentives and programs currently being offered by the city or our partner agencies. Goal two is to support the production of over 16,000 new, new lower income housing units and increase other affordable housing opportunities within the existing housing stock. So one of the key programs uh, related to this goal is the review of our mixed income housing ordinance. Uh, the mixed income housing ordinance outlines how the city requires or supports affordable housing development in the city. The ordinance currently imposes a fee on certain residential development projects, which goes into a housing trust fund for affordable housing. Those funds are then used to support those deed restricted affordable housing projects. 
And we're currently in the process of reviewing the existing ordinance um, that requires this fee and we'll be um, looking at changes to the ordinance, such as changing the fee level um, or requiring market rate projects to include some level of affordable housing units on site, otherwise known as an inclusionary policy. So um, that is currently underway and we'll be looking at um, changes to the ordinance um, early next year. I'm sorry, not early next year, um, later next year, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, and then another program in support of this goal is uh, identifying and rezoning uh, additional affordable housing sites in higher resource areas of our city. So looking at that deep blue and aqua color, looking for sites that can um, allow multi-unit affordable housing by right. Um, because currently in these areas, traditional affordable housing opportunities are not available due to the lower density in place. Goal three is related to facilitating the construction of at least seven, uh, 600 accessory dwelling units by 2029. Uh, we will well surpass this goal, but we definitely want to produce as many ADUs as possible because they are a more naturally affordable product type due to their size and location on existing land. Um, so we have committed to developing um, an ADU toolkit uh, that will be an online resource that includes educational materials and permit ready ADU plans. So the city is actually um, getting ready to launch that later this week. Um, it'll include a step-by-step -step process with action items on how to permit and construct an ADU, um, information on financing, landlord and tenant resources, site planning tools, and again, those permit-ready plans that will be free for anyone to use in the city that will be compliant with the 2022 building code that goes into effect um, early next year in January. Um, so those permit-ready plans will be um, a really great resource that we're going to be pushing a lot. And um, we're also committed to identifying potential funding sources and community partners to develop and implement a financial assistance program for ADUs. So lots on ADUs. Um, we saw a 123% increase uh, from 2020 to 2021, uh, permitted 170 ADUs last year. Um, so definitely trying to increase that number and I think we'll, we'll well surpass our, our goals if not double it. Um, goal four is to advance equity and inclusion and create more equitable and inclusive neighborhoods. So this was uh, also woven throughout the housing element in various topics. Um, but, you know, state housing law also requires jurisdictions to comply with um, what's known as a, uh, affirmatively furthering fair housing, AB 686. So this means taking meaningful actions to overcome patterns of segregation address disparities in housing needs and access to opportunity and uh, foster inclusive community communities. So one primary action we can take is to provide more lower cost and regulated affordable housing options in our highest opportunities, uh, opportunity areas of our city. Um, so one way that we're doing that um, in the non-regulated affordable housing route is um, looking at allowing missing middle housing um, throughout our city. So 70% of our residential areas are currently zoned for single unit dwellings, um, which equates to almost half of our city land. 
So we are currently looking at um, uh, allowing more housing types throughout our neighborhoods that are a little more affordable by design due to allowing more density on sites. Um, and we've kicked off this project uh, recently. So we're, we're currently conducting engagement on this project. So if you're interested in, um, in looking, looking into this and learning more about it, um, becoming engaged, uh, it's another project that's currently underway. Um, an additional, uh, some other programs that implement this target are um, conducting neighborhood level planning, supporting collective ownership models, uh, considering a fair chance ordinance to reduce housing barriers for formerly incarcerated individuals, and promoting affirmative marketing methods for home builders in our city. Goal five is to protect residents at risk of displacement from their homes and communities. So to achieve this, the housing element includes a program to review the Tenant Protection Act ordinance and consider changes that would strengthen the effectiveness of it prior to the sunset date in 2024. Um, and also uh, the continued provision of fair housing services to tenants and landlords, uh, reviewing the reviewing and evaluating the feasible implementation and impacts of the rent escrow account program, um, first time home buyer programs and researching and identifying best practices for rental assistance. Goal six is to preserve the existing housing stock. Um, so this is uh, one of the programs I'm gonna not go into detail of, but we wanna you know, preserve our affordable housing, uh, op existing affordable housing and make sure that we don't lose any of those deed restricted units. Um, goal seven is to prevent the occurrences of homelessness and address the housing needs of people experiencing homelessness. Um, the housing element includes a variety of policies to guide um, this crisis, but uh, the housing element isn't intended to serve as a comprehensive homeless plan. So the housing element calls for the city to develop, to develop a homeless action plan and develop meaningful metrics to understand the impact of different programs on helping to address the homelessness crisis. Goal eight is to promote universal access in housing and support efforts that provide older adults and people with disabilities the option to stay in their homes and neighborhoods. Um, so if you have any questions about these last three or any of the, of the goals, happy to take them after the presentation. I'm gonna kick it back to Danielle. Yeah, thanks Greta. And then just looking, looking at the overall cost of housing, um, this was just to highlight the cost of how much um, subsidy goes into a regulated affordable unit and with the 16,000 plus almost 17,000 units of low income housing required under our regional housing needs allocation, that would be a seven and a half billion dollar cost overall, with the city's portion of that being about two and a half billion because we leverage um, state and federal resources with about $100,000 a unit. And next slide, I think recognizing that, you know, we want to do better and we want to go faster and find alternative ways. That's been a major force for our city housing initiatives, looking at how do we, how do we um, provide policies that promote the speed of development, looking at how do we lower the overall cost per unit, including with affordable housing, are there creative ways to do that? 
um, the overall efficiency of our homeless response. As Greta mentioned, you know, the housing element doesn't go deeply into the homeless response, but we recently adopted the homeless response plan in partnership with Sacramento Steps Forward in the county and are really trying to work through, you know, what are the most effective means for that, including our housing policy response and then promoting overall development. So the initiatives I wanted to highlight is of course, the creation of our city held housing trust fund, as mentioned before, using both measure U funds, general funds, and then some of our COVID response funds. And we really used these resources to speed up some of our affordable housing developments, um, including those listed here with Mercy's development on Stockton Boulevard, really trying to kick off um, affordable housing development initiatives that are happening along Stock Stockton um, related to anti-displacement. Um, the Wong Project and the Rail Yards and the Capitol Park Hotel both also received funding from the City Held Housing Trust Fund. And then just listing other developments that are currently under construction, just to give you a sense of all of the housing that's currently underway. Uh, Marisol Phase D is under construction. Uh, we've got two home key projects currently being converted from motels to housing at about 210 units. And then CADA downtown is working on the Sunrisa project, which was one of the former state surplus property sites. So it's definitely helped us speed up development. But in addition to that, our city council has definitely been asking, you know, how do we lower the, the cost per unit? And so we've got a few creative projects that we're working on with more details to follow. But one of them um, is in partnership with Lennar Homes. They're providing a donation project to the city of about 100 units, um, wanting to showcase a new type of construction through Vive Homes, which is more of a panelized construction and development style with lower overall um, waste of, of materials and a, and a faster construction period, also a more durable construction material rather than drywall. It uses more of a Corian prod, product. Um, and then we're looking at some public-private partnerships. How do we leverage um, the the resources from our private partners and and find wins for everybody as we work towards affordable housing and workforce housing opportunities um we're also looking at policies where the city might provide some short-term financing to lower the overall costs of development um, to provide lower construction loans so trying to get creative about lowering the cost per unit and then thirdly looking more at prevention and anti-displacement initiatives. Um, and this has been done a few different ways. I mean, more recently, of course, we've had the SARA program, the Sacramento Emergency Rental Assistance Program, really working through COVID to help people keep their housing. Um, but also looking at homeless prevention, you know, instances where folks just need one-time assistance with paying a bill or getting their car repaired. We're looking at these programs intensely around the Aggie Square development in Stockton Boulevard area. Again, trying to work against um, potential displacement with the reinvestment that's happening along the corridor. So wanting to be very proactive about the offerings that we're setting up for the local community. And that also came from 
our housing trust fund and measure you dollars where we set aside funds, $5 million from the city, $5 million from the university to further those programs to really stabilize our neighborhoods. Um, and then as Greta has mentioned, um, working to just educate and inform all of the ways that city policies are here to help development and providing that development toolkit really provides assistance to folks both used to de developing housing, but maybe new to the city of Sacramento or just new to some of our policies, as well as folks that, um, you know, maybe just trying to develop a second unit and do a one-time development. Um, so thinking across the board on how we educate and support all types of housing. So that was a broad overview of um, all work we're doing in housing policy and some highlights on affordable um, prevention, anti-displacement work. But we wanted to leave time for questions and see what other information you all would like to hear more about or if there are any questions about anything we presented today. So I see some folks in the queue. Sorry, I'm trying to orientate my computer. Uh, I see uh, Member Kibble. Thanks. Um, yeah, you know, as somebody who lived for a long time and did a lot of community work in the Oak Park area, especially around uh, empty lots, it's 15 years later. And, and I just don't see a lot of action or movement on those lots. So mm -hmm. to me, it's no wonder that things seem to take a long time, but 15 years, uh, especially at 36 near second and third. I mean, there's like a whole host of empty lots over there that promises were made and, and not kept. And, you know, all these things you're telling us, it's a lot of information, first of all, and it, it is overwhelming when there's no context to it. So I would just encourage you maybe in the future to less about the details and more about how this relates to the historical context of what has and hasn't been done in the city. And also as it relates to what measure you can do to support the work that you all are doing. So again, a lot of great information, but it's overwhelming. And my bottom line, I've been asking since 2019 about those empty lots. Well, actually I've been asking since, well, 2007. So, and working on that. So it is very frustrating when you still see so much inaction in these lots and yet there's a grand plan and it's like oh yeah we're doing this we're doing that well you know what step back and do something actually in oak park that would be swell so thank you yeah thanks committee member um so the lots in oak park um in particular i know have been going through the rfq process and i believe they're in negotiation with um habitat and will will be coming forward to the city council soon. So I, I appreciate the, I know that our city council member is really wanting to see those underway um, as well. And I appreciate how, how long it's taken. So thanks for the question. I think there will be more information very, very soon and that they will be starting construction. Thank you, member Kibble. Um, member Prey. Thank you. Um, I've been doing a lot of study on the regional housing needs assessment, and I'm um, I'm the representative on this um, commission from 
District 1. Um, so we're not talking North Natomas. Of course, it's a high construction area. And looking at the plans that are currently proposed or even underway, we have about 560 affordable homes being planned or under construction and an additional 71 ADUs. But the issue for District 1 is public transportation. Um, there, there is very limited public transportation Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, so to make a, a unit affordable and then demand that the tenant um, own a car just really makes that less affordable. And so it's more of a, you have to look at this holistically. You can't just say, we're gonna build houses and, and they're gonna be affordable because if the entire life isn't affordable, it can't be, it doesn't matter what the house costs. So what is being done by the city in terms of transportation? Yeah, thank you, committee member. That's a good um, observation, and uh, I certainly, you know, would agree with that. I think the, um, you know, I work primarily in housing planning. Our city is updating our 2040 general plan that includes a mobility element um, that covers, um, you know, transportation in the city. Obviously, Sacramento RT um, runs the public transit, and so mm -hmm. you know, we certainly. Um, hope one day to, to see the green line through to extend to, to construction. Um, and I think, you know, there's definitely an acknowledgement of a lack of, of service, not only in, in North Natomas, but in other areas of our city too. So, um, you know, definitely we'll note that and, um, you know, look for ways to incorporate, um, you know, incre increasing transit opportunities in that area of the city. Thank you. I you know, we are considered a transit-oriented uh, community because of the proposed Green Line, which was proposed 20 years ago. I don't expect to see that in my lifetime, um, but we have the right-of-way. And so we could work as a community who is looking to make housing more affordable for our residents to convert that right-of-way into a bus, an express bus line. Um, don't wait for light rail that's that's pointless but to to actually use that right away that we have and just let's get a bus in there and and have one or two spot stops in neighborhoods that are really underserved on on the west side of i-5 um and let's let's get that taken care of because we have a proposal in for a, a high amenity affordable housing development but it's actually in the Westlake area, which has zero in public transportation. And that's sad. That's really sad. Thank you. Yeah, I would just add that, and I appreciate all of those comments. Um, there are also a few affordable housing funding sources that we're looking at in project specific locations where we can add some uh, pedestrian and transportation improvements, but you're absolutely correct that um, the infrastructure on the light rail isn't isn't there to add to. So uh, creative solutions like the bus is, is a good suggestion. We appreciate it. I see no more hands in the 
Oh, member Sala. All right, um, thank you. I wanna thank you for your presentation. This was very helpful, um, but I, I would appreciate receiving a copy of the presentation. Then I can, I can review it a little more carefully. Um, I just have a couple of comments. So I'm, I represent District 3, but not ESAC. <laughs> I represent District 3, which is more um, South Natomas, Gardenland, Northgate. And my particular concern is with Gardenland, Northgate. So most of the residents in that area are extremely low income. And, but when we look at the, the housing, the rental, the average rent um, in our area is about 1500 to $1,600. So, so most of a, a good portion of our community, they're not living in one point, what did you say, 1.1%? Um, they're, they're oftentimes maybe families of two living together in a two-bedroom apartment. So affordability is a, a, a concern here. And when we try, when, when, when the times um, we've tried to address this issue with the city in when something's being constructed and we're trying to get the developer, look, you're going to build these little homes or you're going to build these apartments in our area. Can you take a portion of that and make them affordable, not market rate, but affordable? Um, we always, the response we always get is, no, we can't. Um, it's too costly. And if you really want to make something affordable, uh, you need to know ahead of time that there's thought of building something in that vacant lot and make sure it's with a nonprofit developer. And then, um, and then that would, you can make it affordable. But once the, once the housing has been adapted, the developer's been um, identified and what they're gonna build has been identified. There's, there's little that the community can do to advocate for even a small portion or present a percentage of that to make it affordable, whether they're building homes to, to purchase or whether it's rental apartments. And, um, and, and that's a frustration of our community that we, we, if we don't know ahead of time that there's a thought of building housing, there's not much we can do to change the outcome. And the other, the other thing that I was struck with is you're, I, I'm, you know, what you're doing with Aggie Square is commendable in minimizing the displacement of, of individuals that live, who have historically lived there for many, many years who are low income. I think that's commendable, and I and I am watching how that is unfolding. What I want to ask is, is that going? Is what you're learning from that and that program that you're developing in that area from avoiding communities from being displaced? We have community members in Garland Northgate that are at risk of being displaced every single day, but we have no program or mechanism like Aggie Square is implementing and doing 
for those individuals in that community. And I know they're two different, you know, it's apples and oranges and I get that. But is there, is the city, city thinking, hey, what we're learning and what we develop for Aggie Square, can we transplant that in other communities throughout Sacramento that look very much like Oak Park, that are struggling like Oak Park, but we don't have a concerted effort with the city to implement a program that's being done um, in Oak Park. So I, I, and, and I, and measure you monies, I know we gave 5 million to that project, but I would like to see measure you money be able to use to have a similar program implemented in other neighborhoods, equally struggling, under-resourced, and families at you know uh, struggling to to not be become homeless. So, that's yeah, appreciate the questions. Um, absolutely, we are using lessons learned from Aggie Square anti-displacement programs that we we'll use throughout the city. I would say simultaneously, we are looking at how we can stand up programs um, that are citywide programs. So we set aside some funding through um, our, our HAP3 funds, our Homeless and Housing um, Action Program funds to do some homeless prevention funding that could be a citywide program, recognizing exactly what you're saying, that we need these programs throughout. And then the other program we've been actively pursuing on a citywide basis is home repair programs, recognizing that we have low-income homeowners throughout the city that would benefit from um, more substantial home repairs, especially as it relates to you know code enforcement issues and other pieces. So yes, um, absolutely. We're trying to learn lessons and use them throughout and, and Measure U funds um, could potentially benefit those as well. And I just wanted to follow up on the um, affordable housing uh, in market rate projects comment and flag um, again, uh, the mixed income housing ordinance review that's underway um, kind of really gets at that because, um, you know, the, the only way to require or for affordable housing to really be part of a market rate project is through an inclusionary policy that would require a certain percentage of development projects to include those deed restricted affordable units. So right now what we're doing um, in terms of the process of review is um, developing uh, prototypes and submarkets, looking at different areas of the city um, to develop kind of your standard projects that you see, uh, that you would see in those areas of the city. Um, and once we develop those, uh, you know, pro formas, look at how, how the project develops um, over time um, and the costs associated um, we will be testing different alternatives, so different fee options and different um, inclusionary on-site uh, on requirements for affordable units. So that economic analysis will be used to inform decisions on changes to the ordinance. So if you're interested in that project, um, we have a, a city website um, where you can sign up for email updates on it. Um, you can also, you know, get in contact with me, happy to, to um, include you in any um, outreach that we conduct uh, informing the, the process of that analysis, and then uh, be sure to, you know, participate in, in the public meetings that we have related to that, um, that project. 
Yeah, I would appreciate that. Thank you. I see no other hands uh, raised. Um, I did want to just mention on the last point, Member Sala, too, is one of the things that came out of the work with Aggie Square um, is the, uh, the, um, the, and the ordinance piece is a CBA ordinance that hopefully will pass and will be citywide. And I think that, so while the work started with Aggie Square, it was always intended to look at how to help protect um, residents throughout the city that um, are impacted by the de development. So still to come, but that is still being worked on. So keeping our fingers crossed that works out and gets passed. Um, that would be another another tool that we'll be able to use to help help residents. Um, Clerk, do we have any speakers? Yes, thank you, Vice Chair. We do have two speakers with their hands raised. The first speaker I have is Dr. Diane Wolf. Um, so can I have two questions for um, Danielle, number one, has the city considered um, buying into market rate housing? So the, the speaker before said, um, oh, we asked the developer, could you put in some affordable units? And they say, no, it's too costly. Well, what if the city came in and said, okay, fine, we'll buy 50 affordable units. Um, so that's my first comment. And my second comment is, I understand that the tomorrow night the city's going to look at allocating a hundred million dollars um, to an, a, a mobility center to do research out of the um, transportation measure. And I just wonder, you know, has consideration been given to instead of spending the money that way, spending it on uh, public transportation to, to make some of these areas more amenable to affordable housing? So thank you, those are my comments. Thank you for your comment. The next speaker I have is Kenyon Bliss. Hi, Measure Your Committee. Uh, this is Keon Bliss um, that uh, just calling in as a uh, concerned resident in District 4 and uh, wanting to appreciate you all for having this conversation and presentation. But also wanted to express my uh, disappointment that this presentation uh, and this PowerPoint information is not available um, for print download uh, on the agenda, which it can easily be done. But unfortunately, the, uh, we just don't prioritize getting this information out there for uh, uh, for public digest or for public consumption, as well as even for our commissions and board members, uh, which is really disappointing and honestly just seems kind of intentional at this point. But Wanting to name uh, just a you know a couple of things around this. While I appreciate that um, we're like you know there are even some units that are being built that are going to be affordable. Five hundred uh, or some odd units, just a couple hundred, isn't enough to address the nearly nine thousand two hundred unhoused residents that live on the street, mostly concentrated here in the central here in Sacramento City. Um, We've seen since 2019, as many of you I'm sure are aware, a 67% increase um, in the number of unhoused people um, living on the street since 2019. And uh, no less than 1,300 of them have families with children and uh, 464 are youth. And then of, the, of those 9,200 people, 6,600 people are living unsheltered with at least 3,800 unsheltered people uh, having at least... Um, uh, or living on children with uh, at least one having a disability. 
So to like, as much as we need to, like, as much as, you know, it should be commended that like a few hundred units are being built. It's really just not enough. And frankly, just uh, a lot of this presentation, not like, no, like, you know, I appreciate the staff reporting on this and they're just doing their jobs. This is really uh, like a policy decision uh, made by decision makers uh, at city council, as well as um, uh, under the city manager's office. And I mean, it's poverty and homeless is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's 100% a policy choice, political, economic, and social. The average rent for a studio apartment in Sacramento uh, city is over not, is almost $2,000, $1,958. And the average income of a person living in Sacramento is just $34,000. And across the state, like the uh, more, like vast majority of renters are paying no less than 56% on average for their home, like for their uh, housing, which is just unacceptable. It's completely unaffordable. And honestly, it's, because we, uh, as a city and county, prioritize uh, developers, real estate developers, and business developers uh, who enjoy the access to a majority of our city council members, all, many of whom sit on the pro uh, property and business in improvement districts boards and such. So, um, until we actually decide not to, like not to just build more housing, but really to change policy to prioritize the human rights, like human rights. Thank you for your comment. Your time is complete. Will you please make your We're final comment? Yes, I will uh, just finalize it. Uh, I appreciate you all having this conversation. I really want to encourage you all to continue raising this issue and um, really just pushing on city. Thank you for your comment. Vice Chair, I have no other speakers with their hands raised for this item. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you callers for your comments. As we were going to caller comments, I saw member Rivera come off of uh, camera waving. I think she had a comment. So I wanted to come back to her member Rivera. You had a comment you wanted to yes. or a question? Okay, go ahead. Yes. Thank you. Um, Greta, when you do your analysis, I'd like to see something done there on your seniors. Because that's a population that continues to grow, and I'm seeing more of it unhoused. So um, I don't know if you can do it, but I really would like to get some information on that of your analysis on that portion. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you all for your presentation and everyone for your comments. Um, appreciate it very much. This uh, presentation was a receiving file, so there's no vote um, required on this. So we will go ahead and move to our next item and is item number four, the approval of the Measure U Com Community Advisory Committee Fiscal Year 2021 Annual Report. And I think there's a staff presentation or, or Ash, am I turning it over to you or? No, this is actually the ad hoc committee that is called the Spending Oversight and Budget Development 2022-23 Ad Hoc Committee that will be presenting this item. Okay, so I'll turn it over to the committee. Um, well, uh, this is um, Member Dickinson, um, I would refer you to the draft letter that the ad hoc committee um, worked on and uh, presents for your approval and ultimate transmittal. Um, I want to thank uh, members Sala, Riviera, Prey, and Chair Kofer for uh, their work on the ad hoc committee that resulted in this. It was 
The letter is uh, guided by our um, recommendations to the council on um, on the twenty twenty one uh, budget. Those recommendations were made uh, originally in July of uh, 2020 and then um, in December 2020. Um, I think it's pretty straightforward uh, in terms of providing background, um, some observations, um, and there are a couple of changes. Um, the, the real need of the letter, I think, and the other members can uh, join me, or correct me if I'm wrong, is on the second page where we talk about a comparison of our <clears throat> of our recommendations to um, the final budget, in which we discovered that while we could um, identify uh, our, our recommendations as compared to the final budget in three areas there was a substantial amount of our recommendations totaling about $60 million that we were unable to find information on uh, whether and if so, what of those recommendations were adopted. And I will note that there are a couple of uh, fill in the blanks on uh, one on page one with the name of the auditor, um, a hanging chat of a sentence on page two, item four, where it should read, at the time of this report, whether and if so, what recommendations from the committee were funded cannot be determined. Member Prey, your hand is up. Yeah, yes, thank you so much. Vice Chair Williams, um, I can fill in the blank on page one. The the auditor was Masias, Jeannie, and O'Connell, LLP. Yeah, yeah. So that can get filled in. Um, I I agree with the contents of this um, this letter. You know. For the, uh, this one seems like forever ago now. <laughs> it was really hard. Yeah, 2020 was like two years ago. So, wow, that's that's a long time ago. But, um, you know, once the city started doing their program-oriented um, budgeting, then it really makes our job a lot easier in looking at what things were. And this, this fiscal year, we didn't have that that benefit so it, it's it is what it is yeah no, it, it, it was quite challenging it was quite challenging for us to try to go back and you know for those of us who were on the committee remember what we did and for um the real troopers um members sala and uh riviera to to ask ask the really important and good questions about what was going on then because they weren't on the committee but offered good insights on how to how to explain this in some sort of coherent way. Okay, do I see any questions? Oh, I see member Sala. Yeah, um, I just want to thank you, March, for um, drafting this up for us and you, Lisa, for helping 
because I was tasked with trying to figure out what we recommended and what was ultimately yeah. uh, funded. And I reached out to Lisa and she was, uh, couldn't find that information. Uh, and so then I reached out to Ash and Ash said, well, we could find it, but it's going to take several weeks. And, and, and so what I, what he explained to me is that at that time it wasn't being tracked by programmatically. And uh, so, so I'm glad that we're going to be able to track these, you know, whatever we recommend that we can see and we can track it by what's ultimately funded. So we, for the public's benefit, that they can see clearly, uh, Measure you recommended this, and this is exactly what Measure you, um, what the final budget reflected based on our recommendations. So I really, I, I think for the future reports to be able to do that is, is very important. So thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, I see member Odo Kitt. Yeah, I wanna really wanna thank the ad hoc committee as well. Um, I mean, I'm gonna make sure I, I highlight and save page 16 of this document because it's very, very helpful. We spent, um, I mean, early on, I think in our engagement on this committee, we spent so much time trying to figure out and try to understand and just so to see this um, comparison <laughs> Um, and to do that tracking is extraordinarily helpful. So thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, do we have any other comments? This item? I think this item we need a vote. Am I correct? Yes. Alexis? Okay. Excuse and me, so Vice you're... Chair? Yes. I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. We did have one hand raised from a member of the public on item number oh, four. Oh, I am so sorry, public. I need to make No, that was my fault. I accidentally lowered his hand, so I just wanted to make sure I put it on record that he had his hand raised prior to us going into the nope. vote. Okay. So is it okay well, we if I no take We have no motion it? yet, so we're good. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So our first speaker is going to be phone number last four, three, six, six, Mr. Lambert. I'm giving you the ability to speak right now. Yes, uh, you know, I'm a person that is a stickler for tracking. And you, before the internet, that was something that you had to master. You know, you had to master tracking things and and documenting and things of that nature. You didn't have the modern technology. So I'm a master at tracking and documenting things. That's why... I comment like I do. Now, when you hear an organization saying that they, uh, after you reached out to try to get tracking and there's no tracking, then that means the money could have went anywhere. So tracking is vital. I mean, if you do anything, I'm in business. If you do anything, the IRS will track you. No matter what you do, they will track you. And you should track yourself so that you'll have proof. I mean, we have to submit what's called a capability statement. You take one look at anyone's capability statement like ours, we have been tracked because you should be tracked. It shows 
um, integrity. That's where mismanagement mismanagement occurs. That's where uh, people receive no written agreement funding, which has recently come to light. So you have to really stay focused. And when I hear the ad hoc has been crippled, that's because they were getting close to integrity. So... You know, when I hear long reports and things like that, and then I hear people come back and say, that's a great report, but, you know, where's the clarity on something that was 2007, I thought I heard. So, I mean, you you have a real problem down there. And as a person who's been submitting a lot of paperwork down there, I've tracked everything. Whatever I hand in, I track it, I monitor it, so that when someone comes with a real long explanation, when they finish, I go back and check. And most of the times, it don't match. So I wanted people to know that who are part of these committees, that you're up against something. And I admire you for at least trying to monitor and track people, because a lot of people who are in charge... Uh, they're not worrying about being homeless. They're not worrying about pay. You know, and some of them are laughing during the meetings and stuff. It's nothing funny about homelessness or people on the verge of homelessness. You should be serious when you're talking about things like that. So this is somebody who's very focused on tracking and monitoring and uh, documenting. So keep that in mind. Uh, because when I hear ad hoc and Mr. It's Davis, your time is complete. Will you please make your final comment? Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Vice Chair. That is all the public comment I have for this item. Thank you again. Okay, thank you. Seeing no more comments um, from the public and no more hands in on the queue for members. I think we need a motion. Um, granting the authority for the spending and oversight uh, ad hoc committee to finalize the report and forward the report to city council for consideration. I so move. I second. Okay, clerk, can we get a vote? Yes, thank you, Vice Chair. Members, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Member Cooney? Aye. Thank you. Member Cresswell is absent tonight. Member Dickinson? I can come back to Member Dickinson. Oh, she's on mute. Aye. Thank so you so much. Member Gorris? Aye. Thank you. Member Kibble? Aye. Thank you. Member Mora? I apologize. I just logged on. Um, can someone let me know what we're voting on? We are on um, item four of the uh, ad hoc. Uh, we're do we're do voting on a motion for the ad hoc, the spending and oversight budget ad hoc committee to finalize the report and forward the report to city council for consideration. Okay, I trust my 
previous uh, fellow committee members, aye. Thank you. Member Odo Kent? Yes. Thank you. Member Perez is absent tonight. Member Prey? Aye. Thank you. Member Riviera? Aye. Thank you. Member Sala? Yes. Thank you. Vice Chair Williams? Yes. Thank you. And Chair Kofer left us earlier tonight, so she is absent. Thank you. The motion passes. All right. We're speeding on to the next item on our agenda, and that is a consideration of amendments for participatory budgeting pilot, the, the pilot, the program, actual program playbook. And I will turn that presentation over to um, Ash. And I think I saw Christiania on. Yes, um, Christiania is on. I'm actually gonna defer to the Participatory Budgeting Implementation 2022 Ad Hoc Committee to present this item. And then maybe, I don't know if you wanna coordinate with Christiania on which parts you want her to cover. Okay. Um, Sure, I can, I can say a, a, a few things just in preparation for uh, Christania DeLeon is with the, uh, she's a co-executive director of the participatory budgeting project who, as you know, has been contracted with the city of Sacramento to provide technical assistance and support in rollout of our city's uh, participatory budgeting pilot project. Um, so um, before I kind of launch in and all this discussion about kind of changing the nature of ad hocs. I just, I really want to recognize the ad hoc participatory budgeting um, committee who has been meeting literally weekly for hours, sometimes twice weekly um, or more to um, plan the launch, to create the playbook, to uh, just kind of noodle through um, how the program's going to be rolled out in the city. And so member Kivel, Presswell, uh, Luhan, before she um, resigned from the committee, uh, Williams and Mora, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Also, Ash has been at every one, single one of these meetings and more um, as we've been going through the process. Um, so I think it's been about a year since uh, PB was officially launched in the city. And prior to that, um, a lot of discussion about the overall Measure U Committee about what is participatory budgeting and really advocacy on all of your behalf to try to get a portion of the Measure U um, um, tax allocated to uh, the process of participatory budgeting and to launch it and pilot it in our city. Um, as you will recall, and through the presentations made to um, this committee, there's a number of stages and steps um, involved in participatory budgeting. Um, I won't, I probably will get some of the steps not exactly right, but it really kind of started with developing the rule book or the playbook uh, under which that we would follow um, in implementing participatory budgeting in our city. Um, Following that, we um, launched an idea collection process. There were over 500 ideas collected from throughout the city. city. There were um, proposal delegates that were volunteers recruited from um, the city in the priority designated neighborhoods for which um, ideas are being vetted by this proposal delegate. 
body and we'll ultimately make it and we're inching closer to that to a ballot. And those ballots are being prepared and vetted by delegates um, for launch, um, um, which is kind of the, 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 the next, uh, one of the next stages for the public vote, if you will, on the participatory budgeting uh, ballots that include the projects that were generated from the ideas. Um, so, you know, throughout this process, as I say, you know, I think all of us have reminded ourselves repeatedly that this is a pilot. Our city's never done it. I think one of the things that I'm learning as well is that our city has taken somewhat of a unique approach um, to launching PB in our city. Um, our Measure U ad hoc and Measure U committee overall has been very, very involved in a volunteer body, very much involved working with ASH and a few other folks at the city together with our external uh, technical assistance support uh, resource. And so we've been learning along the way. And um, as part of this learning, uh, I think you know we've had some reflections about what could have been done better, what we might've done differently. Um, but as a result of that, um, I'm gonna ask Kristanya to kind of give a kind of pick up from there and maybe give us a little bit of background on why we're bringing this back to you uh, in the context of slightly amending the playbook that you all uh, approved um, earlier this year or last year, I can't remember, <laughs> a long time ago, it seems, um, that would sort of provide the framework for uh, launching PB in our city. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Kristanya. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for having us this evening. And thank you, Member Oda Kent, for the wonderful ground text and grounding. Um, so yeah. I, I will offer just a bit of um, sort of an update on where we're at um, and then a bit of what we're hoping to discuss for amendment or addition to the playbook today. Um, as uh, was mentioned earlier, we did convene, we recruited and convened um, delegates from the priority areas, the focus areas of the process located in the Northeast and Southeast areas of the city. Um, and uh, it's sort of initiated by um, working with them to identifying a couple of key decisions to really guide how they wanted to do their work that were delegated by um, our Measure U ad hoc focus on participatory budgeting. So we spent some time talking about you know, what, how many proposals should go on each ballot? We had over 550 ideas. What is each ballot going to look like? How many is too many ideas? What can we build out? Um, what should the project um, minimums and maximum costs be? Um, some decisions like that so we could really be grounded together in a shared understanding of what we wanted to move forward as part of that proposal development phase. We then looked at all of the ideas and, and huge uh, gratitudes, acknowledgements for Ash, and in addition to all the meetings that were mentioned earlier, did a lot of work to go through all of those ideas and help prioritize, identify feasible ideas, ideas where there might be questions, ideas, um, and how we can categorize them by topic. So um, our delegates kind of inherited a really strong sense of, you know, what are these ideas looking like and how do we actually start to prioritize them so that we are building out things that will move on to the ballot that really do reflect our community's highest priority needs. And they're really, really critical. Um, we also brought on additional staff. So we have a point person for our Northeast delegates named Talitha Floyd, as well as a point person for our Southeast delegates named Richard Falcon, who may be known to you due to their connections and advocacy in the city, incredible support and capacity they've offered to this work as well. Um, and making sure folks were then able to look at all of the ideas and offer some perspectives on which of them were gonna meet the highest 
various community needs, which were feasible, which facilitated equity, which really did really um, affirm the goals and the values set forward in the playbook for this process. And then once we narrowed them down, we also then talked about how do we actually build proposals? How do we get specific, giving them a title, offering a description, and really working with city partners or others to help us identify what they would cost to implement so that members of community who are voting are able to get a sense of what they're voting for and what it would require with the funds available to each of these areas for this process. And so as part of that, an overview of just where we're at, we have um, a certain number of proposals for our Southeast and our Northeast groups. Um, we are finalizing some detailed information, following up with some delegates around making sure we're really adequately capturing their vision for these ideas and these proposals before we finalize and move them to ballot. Um, but in high level overview of our Northeast, uh, you know, proposals, we'll look at there's two that focus on youth services. There's one focused on adult and youth education. We have three proposals looking at beautification and um, park improvements, outdoor beautification improvements. One focus on elder services and an additional focus on community garden farmers markets. That's our Northeast. Our Southeast slate um, is really focused around three proposals that look at adult or youth education as well. Two that look at beautification of park improvements. One that focuses on library services. We have five that touch on services for our unsheltered community members. And we have two that look at community gardens. And so that's a sense of some of the things they've been focused on. And as they've built these out in their meetings on a weekly basis, they've also benefited from the presence of city staff um, and others who have expertise around these topical areas to help provide feedback and co-design, collaborate on um, sort of what some of these proposals can do that again, feel really feasible, specific, and have appropriate costs associated with them. So we have some follow-up we're doing just to make sure that before things move to ballot, our delegates feel good and really grounded, we have the right information there as well. But one other decision that we also were coming up against is this question about what do we do if there are a number of proposals that then would be implemented by the city, but then of course a certain number of proposals that we implemented potentially by nonprofit organizations or other community stakeholders. What do we do in identifying who will play that implementation role and how do we equitably and transparently um, identify partners to implement these projects once they're voted on um, in a way that feels right and makes sense for the community. And so we've gone through a couple of iterative conversations. We've had members from our ad hoc um, attend these meetings. We've had members from the broader Measure Youth Committee also attend these meetings and be involved in a lot of deliberation about partnership, collaboration to figure out what is the what is a way that we can kind of move some of this forward, um, bearing in mind other kinds of legal considerations and needs for folks to adequately um, apply for these funds, um, and also making sure there are no uh, questions or any concerns about who might be selected to implement this work. And so through some deliberation, uh, we came up with four potential options um, for allowing us to have um, a way to identify the actual ideas and projects that community want to see implemented, and then subsequently identify who will be selected to implement these projects. And so through some conversations, one, um, uh, we had some ideas that surfaced in a conversation with some of our, um, our Measure U members here. And then we also opened it up for our delegates to also add additional considerations based on, on their sense of need and, and interest. And then they voted as a body about the recommendation they wanted to make. This recommendation is what we're re recommending we add into the playbook for transparency for community. 
Um, I'll just briefly let y'all know what they considered and then where they landed and then what we might consider it adding into the, um, the actual playbook itself. Um, they considered a situation where we actually run two separate community votes. The first community votes allows for the community to, to decide what projects they want to implement. And then we run a separate vote where they actually get to also identify based on um, uh, various entities that might submit a, a response to a funding solicitation as was appropriate for a given project, select from uh, that list of interested groups um, who the community would like to see run or implement a project. They considered an option where um, an application is opened for a new community um, sort of group, uh, community working group to come together um, to then review, uh, you know, um, interested uh, stakeholders to implement these processes, um, and they would make a decision as a review body, but they wouldn't be um, necessarily already associated with the PB process. So we'd recruit um, new voices from the Northeast and Southeast um, focused areas and really give them the opportunity to, to run that decision-making um, together. The third option was to delegate to the Measure U full committee. Um, and allow for this committee to work uh, with city staff or anyone else that would be really valuable to make a, de a decision based on um, interests and responses to funding solicitations as appropriate. The fourth option is ultimately where the group landed, um, which was to um, form a review panel. So we will run the PB vote for committee members to select the winning projects. The city then will indicate which projects would be eligible for funding solicitation and uh, organizations can apply to implement the winning projects. And then a review panel would, re would review them and make a decision that would be made up of an equal number of delegates and our Measure Youthful committee members. Um, there was a preference in making sure that in any case, folks who are really connected to and tied to our focus areas um, in the Northeast and Southeast are prioritized for participation. Um, and that we would make sure that there are no delegates that would be making decisions about proposals for which they themselves would be interested in applying for funds. Um, so making sure there are no conflicts of interest engaged in, in any of this decision making on this panel. Um, but that that review committee made up of um, both equal members of delegates and Measure U com committee members um, would come together to determine who would receive implementation of, uh, awards based on, um, you know, qualifications and requirements within, within the funding solicitations. So in our existing playbook, we don't currently have a section that talks about implementation or doesn't that really identifies how we will not just kind of build on the ideas, but really identify who will implement them. And so the question kind of before this committee and, and the request for consideration is to add in this recommendation, this decision that was made by the proposal delegates um, to clarify that the, the decision about who will implement winning projects would be made um, by this review panel. Um, again, that would be made of equal members of proposal delegates and Measure U committee members. Um, I'll pause there and see if there are questions or additions, Ash, that you'd like to make or any other additions that members of the ad hoc would like to make. Um, but before us today is this uh, sort of opportunity to add that level of specificity. We would highly recommend considering doing it because it does allow for a level of transparency for community members before they move forward to vote. So there's no questions about, wait, what happens next? Who will run this? Who will implement it? Um, and it really feels like folks are really informed about the process they can expect. I don't have anything to add. Thank you. Do we have any questions from our members? 
quiet. Okay. Member Sala. Cristiania. Cristiania. I appreciate um, your presentation and your, and, and I really like that the delegates had a, a good, thorough discussion of the options and very pleased to see that the option that you did choose, I thought that was, um, that they chose, the delegates chose. I, I think that is is great. And, and in particular, I like that you will have the current delegates making up part of the review panel as well, as well as Measure U in selection of who will implement the ideas. And this is just, um, just a statement for you is, when we spoke, we, we indicated that the one idea for Garnland was not developed and that someone was gonna be reaching out to the delegate who was assigned that. And as of yet, that delegate has not had any communications or anything. And so I just wanna make sure that doesn't fall through the cracks because if that idea isn't developed, there will be no project um, that, will benefit garden that. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And that is absolutely still on our list. We had about 10 proposals that needed some additional follow-up and they needed to clarify pieces too. So that specific proposal that we discussed is still on the list and, and due for some follow-up um, ASAP. So haven't forgotten. I really appreciate you naming that again. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I don't see any other hands. Um, clerk, we have any attendees that would like to speak? Public, members of the public? Yes, thank you, Vice Chair. I do have one hand raised from Mr. Davis. I am giving you the ability to speak right now. Yes, this is Lambert again. And for the first time, I decided this summer to organize not only family but friends some of us have been in del paso heights since for 50 plus years and i personally attended four different meetings with the outreach in the northeast um i think his name was keone bliss he was there and a couple other speakers and they were the same speakers everywhere i went i went to the roberts family center I went to the Hmong Community Center. I went to the Robertson Community Center. And I noticed that the only P-bid in the District 2 Del Paso Boulevard Partnership, they canceled both outreaches. So I said, let me study this. And the next thing I know, not only did I not get selected, and by the way, I submitted paperwork at every meeting I attended, which means that they should have had track of it. And shout out to Ash Ragani because he finally admitted that they couldn't find it. And so that's integrity. He also explained to me the difference between participatory budgeting, which is really peanut money compared to the budget, and the P-bid. And once I studied what the P-bid is, it dawned on me that there shouldn't be any confusion on a pilot program is basically following the p bid it just has uh, a different agenda so 
the thing that puzzled me the most was that not only was I not selected as a delegate and I went to all those meetings, but neither was anybody I invited. And I invited about 10 people. So the selection process of the delegates is suspect to me. And we did that intentionally just to go see what is this about. And we all submitted delegates and none of us were selected. And I also would like to add that I don't think one penny of this money should go to the unhoused. They have money downtown for the unhoused. This is just $500,000. And if you pay attention, I heard over 500 ideas. There's some great ideas in both of these communities. You should take more money from PBID and put it towards some of these ideas instead of having it limited to PBID is a very cruel project process because it got exposed when I went to PBID or uh, participatory budgeting. And when you say you don't have a way to, to, to check it and, and, and implement, that's a, that's a plan fail. That's a plan rigged to fail. You should always have an implementation to your presentation. But I wanted that to go on record is that no one, that none of us were selected as delegates. So we have no idea what's going on other than Ash Ragani sent me something that gave me some clarity. So shout out to him. But the actual process, none of us were selected as delegates. I wanted to be a delegate so I could see what's really going on. And they made sure that I wasn't selected, but I had family members there. Mr. Davis, your time is complete. Will you please make your final comment? Yeah, this 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 is a sham to me. Thank you for your comment. Vice Chair, I do have one more from Mr. Barry Boyd. Thank you and good evening again. Um, I just wanted to make sure I heard Christiana uh, when she gave her presentation the different categories of um, proposed ideas that will that have gone through the process. Again, full disclosure, I uh, was also one of the Southeast proposal delegates for this participatory budgeting pilot program. Uh, with that, I maybe I just didn't hear, I was moving about. I didn't hear um, we in the Southeast stated that we would have 15 different ideas, uh, proposals in the ballot that is soon to come out for the uh, citizens to vote on. Uh, then we did narrow it to 14. One just didn't get worked out uh, that made it to the final 15. Uh, so I believe we were at 14. I'm not certain if I heard all 14 in the presentation specifically to one was the entrepreneurial um, center as it was listed as the uh, submission from the idea submission. Uh, no, we're not going to build a building, um, but the program in itself, a entrepreneurial program that can, and uh, um, if voted upon, would be done at a facility more than likely uh, where a ongoing provider of such service that has experience and uh, perhaps better knowledge on where to implement that uh, program. 
i.e. which facility, community center, uh, Fruit Ridge Collaborative, whichever. Um, I just wanted to make sure that that was still one of the 14 that we in the Southeast as proposal delegates um, listed to be on the ballot and as well as a combination of arts and culture. And I'm trying to remember the other three. Yes, and I was involved in uh, doing both of these. Um, um, that that one as well, I can't remember the number. I think the prior one was 193, and I just actually don't remember the idea uh, submission number for this one. It's the only one that we combined three different uh, ideas together. Um, outside of that, it was a tremendous lift. It was scheduled for six weeks. I don't know if other states, uh, uh, other cities throughout different states were able to do the same work in six weeks. Six weeks, if they were, my hat is off to them because we, I believe, doubled and exceeded uh, 12 weeks of coming to where we are. And the ballot is uh, still hasn't been finalized to go out, i.e. we're not done. And yes, the idea of uh, having both an equal number of Measure U committee members and proposal delegates, um, committee Measure U committee members that are more of the focused area appointees than outside of that, still an equal number in regards to um, the implementation aspect uh, panel. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Vice Chair, I have no other speakers with their hands raised. Thank you. Thank you, panelists, for um, uh, your comments this evening. And Christiana, was there anything else we needed to add or can we move to a vote? Yeah, I have nothing else to add with regards to this particular um, item for vote. Um, I will acknowledge based on the commentary um, that yes, the proposal um, that was inquired about on the Southeast ballot is included in the overview that was offered. Um, and I'll also just say further, if there are questions about selection of our delegates and how that process went, be very happy to talk more about it. Um, and to, to my understanding, um, we got the number of applications that match the number of seats that we had available to be delegates. And so um, all of the applications that we received, as far as I know, were accepted. Um, so if there are gaps in us having the right paperwork or being having, having received all of that, um, would love to follow up because to my understanding, nobody was turned away um, to serve in this role. So just to offer those pieces um, as far as any applications we received. Um, but I do think that that probably brings us to conclusion or anything I would add specifically about this consideration with regards to identification of, of our implementation partners and the inclusion of a review panel um, with Measure U members and, and proposal delegates to make that decision. Okay. Well, I think we have a motion to um, amend the participatory budgeting play program playbook to include the uh, what we just talked about, which having the proposal delegates uh, and Measure U delegates come together to uh, make the uh, decisions on the fund, uh, those who are going to get funded um, once the voting process has taken place. So if I can get a motion and a second. Happy to make the motion. Okay, I didn't, I didn't was that Conley who made the motion? I, I do. Duke, okay, member Duke, may you, okay, 
you move it on my screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, have a, you have a question or are you making a motion? I'm making a motion. Okay, great. Can I get a second? Second. All right, member Moore, a second. All right, clerk, can we get a vote? Roll call. Absolutely. Thank you, Vice Chair. Members, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Member Cooney? Aye. Thank you. Member Cresswell is absent tonight. Member Dickinson? Aye. Thank you. Member Gores? Aye. Thank you. Member Kibble? I can come back to Member Kibble. Member Mora? Aye. Thank you. Member Odo Kent? Yes. Thank you. Member Perez is absent tonight. Member Prey? Aye. Thank you. Member Rivera? Abstain. Thank you. Member Sella? Yes. Vice Chair Williams? Yes. Chair Kofer is absent. And I will go back to Member Kivel. I believe Member Kivel is absent. I don't see her. Thank you, Ash. Thank you, motion passes. Thank you, Vice Chair. Thank you. Thank you, members. All right, we will move on to ad hoc committee updates, um, participatory budgeting. Do you have anything else to update on? Um, the only thing I'd like to update is that right now the, the actual vote I just want to reinforce that it's scheduled to start on October 3rd and run for, I believe, a two-week period. Um, is that right, Ash? Is it a two-week period? But... I will defer to Cristania on that. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, Last I time I checked it... in... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Ash. I didn't interrupt. Go ahead. Is it Cristania? It... No, I think it'll be a, th a three-week period. Three week period. Um, and so I know the, um, the PVP folks together with the city and the ad hoc committee, we are really trying to uh, work on our outreach strategy and also how voting is gonna take place. Obviously some of it's gonna be electronically, but uh, uh, various voting sites within the two priority areas. So we will be certain to send that information out to all of you. Thank you, that's all. Uh Member Odokan, if that's okay, one just addition I'll offer is that um, we've also been in touch with um, with Ash and talking through how to make it really easy for folks to identify where voting sites are as opposed to voting events and where they'll where they'll be located and how folks can get involved. And so um, we've also been working to make sure that's really clearly um, identified on the current website that looks at participatory budgeting um, and will be made available to, to members of the public as well. So there's no kind of confusion around where can I go? What will that mean? Um, and we'll continuously be running events both um, for Virtually in person, um, and yeah, uh, throughout the the sort of length of the vote as well. Thank you. I see a hand by Member Riviera. Yes, Member um, Kent. I'd like to know in this uh, voting process, is it going to be in different languages, and is also in the website that we have? Um, is that also going to be listed there in different languages? 
Um, I know that that's part of the plan and actually one of the reasons why we wanted to ensure that there was enough time. And so um, between Christania and Ash, maybe you could speak more to that. Yeah, we'll be working with some local um, translators as well as interpreters so that we'll both be able to provide the voting materials in multiple languages, as well as events in multiple languages throughout the their focus areas. So the intention is to make as um, accessible as possible and language is a very um, sort of primary elements of how that will look. So that will be on the website? The website and then um, the ballots themselves will also be translated into multiple languages and those can be found both digitally and will be available in person um, printed uh, and um, we will yeah make sure folks can track and see what languages will be available uh, at certain events um, you know, based on needs and people can prioritize where they might want to go and who they might want to collaborate with thank you all right another hands raised and then we'll move on to spending oversight and budget development ad hoc committee anything else you want to add tonight update to no <laughs> okay well we will move move right along with marketing communications ad hoc committee member sala yes um so we did not agendize approval of the logo so can we make can that be for next meeting so we can vote and approve the logo that we we um, showed you last time as part of our ad hoc. So that needs to be agendized so it, it can be approved. And then Ash will be in his update talking about our communications plan. But I also wanted to share with you because um, Ash had sent uh, over a month ago a list of the individuals remember in our in the community survey we asked do you want to participate in a focus group that will that um, of how you feel measure you uh, funds should be utilized and 52 individuals indicated with their emails and contact information that they wanted to participate in a focus group um, so my question to the group is should our committee just proceed and organize a focus group? Because I think there might be some duplication or overlap with the PB and what's what's happening with PB, or we see that as totally separate and that I can, uh, with our group, with, um, um, uh, our ad hoc or soon to be committee could organize a, uh, with Ash's support, of focus groups contacting these in individuals. I know we're getting ready for, um, and it you know would happen in 2023, where we would be it would be helpful information as we proceed in making recommendations for the use of Measure U funds for the next for 2023-24 budget cycle. So that's my question. <laughs> Hmm. I don't know the answer, but what I will say is I don't recall, and Debbie, you can uh, jump in. I don't recall that we have any, any, any sessions coming up with community on participatory budgeting where we could tag team if we're trying to bring that many people together to have some conversations, but I missed a meeting or two. So maybe is Debbie, Debra's or something uh, you think we could do to that with answer her question. I'll turn it over to 
Member Odocamp. Right. Um, so, you know, there is a um, an evaluation contractor, if you will, as part of the participatory budgeting process. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that they have been doing some individual kind of interviews and surveys amongst uh, proposal delegates and other kind of, you know, key folks um, and some, some uh, written surveys. But I don't believe that they have specifically kind of focus groups as part of their scope um, to, to perform. And, and I guess my, my question was, did, I think that's great that there's 50 something people who had indicated and shared their contact information um, that would be interested in providing some input about um, Measure U in general. But did this come from the city survey? Is that, was yeah. that the source of it? Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I would be really, I think it'd be really interesting to do a focus group with them kind of separately overall, you know, on measure you expenditures and what folks know about it and what they know about this committee, et cetera. Okay. Okay, Ash, Noel, <laughs> Junior, and whoever else in 2023, that's our charge. So that's it for me, unless Noel, you have something else you want to add? Nope. Okay. I'll just throw one other plug and I think it'll be, it'll be important uh, just based on the information we saw from the oversight committee and the look at the budget and where measure you funding is going. Um, it would be good to get an overall look, not just at participatory budgeting, but everywhere that's getting touched by measure you dollars to see what people think and feel about that and thoughts on that. So um yeah, I know it'll be a heavy lift, but yeah, 2023. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next up, we have the Measure You Advisory Committee members report on an, on the investment committee. Did we have anyone reporting out on the investment? No. No, uh, the committee didn't meet. Uh, we're, its next meeting will be the first week of October. We haven't met um, in the last couple of months, so. Okay. No report. Thank you. Thank you, Member Prey. Uh, then we will move on to City Manager's Office Report. So I'll kick this one off. Um, I just have a quick update from our communications team. So to raise awareness and better inform the public about Measure U and how its revenue is being used to benefit the community, the city's media and communications team is developing an ongoing outreach campaign. This campaign will involve both internal and external communications and will also coordinate with the city's Office of Community Engagement to determine what specific departments, divisions, projects, and programs have received Measure U funding. Um, the communications team recently met with the city's finance director. Um, they're going to be contacting individual departments and divisions to then brief them on kind of the overall purpose and scope of this outreach campaign to make sure that they know how to participate as they have programs that are funded by Measure U. Um, the campaign will involve a combination of physical collateral as well as social media content to carry the message regarding Measure U funding. Um, so here's kind of what they have planned for the coming months. So on the city's website, they want to dedicate uh, a dedicated page, um, update it, remove any outdated information, um, have kind of a custom 
uh, URL like cityofsacramento.org slash measure you. That would be kind of the main page and provide a high level overview about measure you, its history and how its funds are being used. Um, the city separately has a blog or a news site um, where they want to write quarterly news articles um, highlighting Measure U and how it's being spent by different uh, departments and divisions. Um, we'll then share these articles across the city's social media channels, as well as the city's newsletter, um, City Minute, which reaches approximately 220,000 people. Um, and then anytime a project or a program is, is funded by Measure U, it's going to be flagged as such in any other kind of city articles that are out there. As it relates to physical collateral, um, they're looking at creating and placing signage at city facilities that utilize Measure U funding. Um, they'll also create flyers and rack, rack cards to be handed out at community events and community centers with Measure U branding and messaging. Um, they also wanna make sure the, the logo that we will bring back to you next month is included on all promotional content. And all of this uh, material will include a link to um, the city's main webpage where folks can get more information about Measure U. Um, lastly, they're exploring the development of digital toolkits. Um, these would be social media graphics, blog posts, and videos to share with the mayor and council, as well as community partners to promote Measure U programs. Um, Want to distribute these toolkits in coordination with the city's Office of Community Engagement and their network of community-based organizations. And then lastly, posting all of that content on the city's social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So um, that is the update on the communication strategy. I'm going to hand it off to Denise, who will share any economic development updates. Good evening, committee members. This is Denise Malvetti with the City Manager's Office of Innovation and Economic Development. Just want to reiterate what Member Prey said, that the Investment Committee will be reconvening on October 3rd. We were on hiatus for the summertime, so again, we'll be convening on Monday, October 3rd, and the primary agenda item at that meeting will be a discussion related to community benefit agreements for city-supported projects. So um, as soon as the agenda is ready, we will provide that to ASH to distribute to all of you. The other update I wanted to provide is related to our small business technical assistance programs through um, ARP as well through our um, other funding sources. We have a few technical assistance programs. And so I will go ahead and send information over to Ash to distribute to all of you in case you have small businesses that are in need of technical assistance. These, there are two programs. One is the Sacramento Inclusive Economic Development Collaborative, as well as the Marginalized Community and Small Business Coalition. So these are two collaboratives throughout the community that are providing technical assistance to um, small businesses here in Sacramento. So again, if you could share the information with your network, I know that you interface with small business owners every day. And if any of them need any support in growing their businesses, we are here to provide that. Um, and then taking that one step further, we are currently accepting applications for economic gardening 2.0 
which is a small business technical assistance program, which also has a matching grant at the end to implement some of the suggestions that come out of that program. So again, I will provide information on that to Ash to distribute to all of you. Economic gardening is the only program that does have an application process, and we are accepting applications until October 4th. So I'll make sure to get that to Ash today to share with all of you. So thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening. Um, I see a hand up from Limber Riviere. Thank you. Thank you. So Ash, um, when is there going to be an economic development meeting? I asked, um, anyway, so do you know when the next meeting is gonna be? I'm sorry, the investment committee? The, yeah, economic investment committee. I believe Denise said next month in October, if I heard correctly. So that's the, uh, the October 3rd meeting? Like at how, are we gonna get a notification of the link and uh, or where it's gonna be held in person or any of that information? So yes. the meeting is Monday, October 3rd and we provide the agendas to Ash and he distributes them to this, to the measure you committee. Okay. And the agenda does include a Zoom link. So we're not meeting in person? And uh, no, the next meeting of the um, investment committee is not planned to be in person. Thank you. Okay. Member Sala? Yes, Ash, thank you. Wow. When we envisioned a communication plan, it was it was small in comparison to what the city has come up with. That's that's amazing. And it's very thorough and comprehensive, and I can't wait. And I think it's going to do so much to advance the community's understanding of Measure U and how their funds, their tax dollars, is invest is being invested in in accordance with the ordinance. So that's amazing. I'm so happy. I can't wait. Thank you, Ash, for moving that forward. Okay, I see no other hands on the on the committee. Committee member comments, ideas, and questions. Okay, member, <laughs> I don't know which member of Rivera, and then we'll go to member Moore. <laughs> Thanks. So I have a question for Brent. Is he still on? Yep. Hi. How you doing? Yeah. Hey, Brent, I have, I have a question. Um, we have presentations that are made, now I notice, like Denise and uh, Miss, uh, what is it, De Leon, and they make the presentations without the camera turned on. And for me, having a presentation done by a city staff member or a person that's getting paid by the city for a contractor, is, mm -hmm. is there any way to get them to turn their cameras on so we could see what they're actually when they're making the presentation or is it? We could put it in contracts, but I think that uh, Denise and everybody else should have the capacity to do it. I mean, I hate to be at the risk of saying try, I'd say ask nicely. I mean, Denise, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I don't, there may be reasons why they can't because if they're at home or something, they're not comfortable with it for staff. Um, but with respect to our contractors, certainly we could put something in our agreements with them that when they, when they present, uh, to our our uh, our boards and commissions, they they do so with their with the screen on, camera on. 
Yeah, because I feel a lot more comfortable. Like you kind of relate to the presentations when they when I can see who's you know when they're doing it. I'll keep that in mind. And for me, I really don't feel comfortable either, but I learned how to blare my background in my home, let go. me tell you, because you do not want to see the back of my house. <laughs> okay. So, okay, well, thank you for answering that. So, Chair, uh, uh, where is she at? I'm right here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I do want to notate that. I request that in that, uh, at least the contractors, and it would be a courtesy of this, all staff members. Okay. Thank you. Noted, thank you. All right, Member Mora. Hello, thank you. I, I just have a question related to our youth uh, member seat. Um, I would like to just put it on the record if there's anything that we can do as a committee uh, to help with the recruitment and the uh, you know eventual appointment of the youth uh, member for the committee. I think we're going on toward, uh, towards one year without having a uh, youth uh, member. And I know it's incumbent upon all of us to help recruit a, uh, you know, a young leader in our city to, to fill that seat. I just really want to make it a, a call to action for all of, for all of us. I've, I've uh, kind of been sending the, the need for a youth member to different people and to different community groups. Uh, and it's been, uh, you know, it's been some time I've, I've tried a little bit on my end, but I just think it's really important. I mean, it's, it's there, the seat is there for a reason. And, uh, and if we can do anything to make that, you know, happen and give that opportunity to someone, cause it is a really good opportunity for, uh, for a young leader to, to be part of these conversations and give us their perspective. Then again, just want to put that in our minutes and in our records so that maybe a target goal is no more than a couple months uh, for us to have that that seat filled. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that's definitely something we can all all work on and try to recruit young people to serve on this community. It's, it's very important. Okay, um, remember Uli's name was up, but I, before I let him talk, I have to say, we should have acknowledged him in the beginning of the meeting, our bad, because we just jumped right in. But I'm sure all of you have seen, we got a new member, you know, and I love the fact that he was just like, hey, I'm voting, I'm doing this, I'm jumping in there with the rest of you. So we appreciate it, but we also want to say welcome, and we're excited to have you. And um, Member Cooney is representing District 8, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, District 8. And so we, that seat has been filled, so we're happy to have you join us, and please know, we definitely flow, I was, we we're going back and forth, it's like, I gotta go, I'm like, I got it, but we kind of kept going, so I just wanted to make sure we acknowledge you, and we, we know you're, you're just joining us, but we also appreciate you jumping right in there with us as well, so um, floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, and really excited to be here. Um, I really just wanted to thank everyone for a, a great first meeting, and I, I really look forward to uh, working with everyone for the rest of this year and going into 2023 this is such an amazing committee that has um, a really strong history and has built such a powerful presence in the city of Sacramento. So I just want to uphold that legacy, support however I can, um, and of course, offer any guidance that you know, my perspective can bring to the table. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. And I really appreciate that, uh, Vice Chair Williams. Well, again, welcome. We're excited to have you. Um, Member Sala, I saw your hand up, but it went, are you, you're okay? Good, okay, all right. 
Okay, last on our agenda, public comments on matters not on the agenda. Thank you, Vice Chair. I do have one speaker with their hand raised. Oh, I'm sorry, there's two. Last four digits are 4366, Mr. Davis. I am giving you the ability to speak. Yes, I, I would like to close this meeting out in a, in a very bold way. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Ash Ragani because I have inquired about a lot of different questions, and he was very thorough, surprisingly, from City Hall. He was very thorough. I learned a lot about P-bids which I think there should be a P-bid in Del Paso Heights. There's homeowners there. We should get the same P-bid that District 2 does because that's a very it, it's very limited access to Del Paso Heights. And the reason I bring up Del Paso Heights is because my parents moved here in 1946, and I was raised here. And when you leave here, and go as many places as I did, and then you return and found a family-owned cheesecake business in this community, you see the double standards. You see the um, peculiar practices that I've identified. And it really is refreshing to come across somebody that is doing their job, whether they know they're doing it well or not. I'm acknowledging it because I seek actual facts. Now, as a person who attended many Measure U meetings where the mayor was there, uh, I asked him several questions about businesses like mine, and he answered them. And when it came time to implement them, it was a different situation. Uh, we may be their worst nightmare because you've, You've often said you can't find a qualified black-owned business. Well, you can't say that about us. We're state certified. We're federally certified. We even have a manufacturer in uh, Southern California. We're well endorsed by the Better Business Bureau. You would think City Hall would reach out to a company like that if you're uh, looking for diversity equity and inclusivity that's something that has to be challenged when you have a company like ours because we're doing it the right way we don't need technical assistance we need access to that funding that the rest of the city is getting there's a lot of groups that get money from measure U, and there's a lot of people in del paso heights that don't there's some talented people in del paso heights talented nonprofits. Marysville Quarter is well known for having some talented people there. So I'd like to see an audit of how that Measure U monies is being spent in Del Paso Heights versus the rest of the city, and then you'll see a scandal because there should be more monies going to Del Paso Heights. And this uh, P-bid is an example of what we're going to monitor because they had us come out to a lot of meetings and I don't see anyone from Del Paso Heights that was picked as a delegate. And I went to four meetings. So the struggle continues. Mr. Davis. But thank you. Mr. Yeah, Davis. Thank you to Mr. Uh, Ragani. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Davis. 
Chair, the next speaker I have is Mr. Barry Boyd. I am giving you the ability to speak right now. Thank you and uh, good evening again. I would like to bring to the attention of this committee and to the residents of the city of Sacramento that this coming, uh, oh, sounds like a feedback going on and I'm trying to figure out why. Uh, this coming Thursdays, let me see if I can turn this mess off. Sorry about that, folks. Here we go. Uh, this Thursday uh, planning and design commission meeting is a review of now I've lost my entire uh, and my screen just blanked out. Bear with me for just a quick second. Is a uh, going to be a review first meeting um, of the um, twenty twenty three planning and zoning work program uh, that'll be for discussion, and I am extending the notification for all of you who want to see what is going to be prioritized for 2023 in regards to the planning and design commission as it relates to the community development department for the city of sacramento again that is this coming thursday 5 30 p.m planning and design commission um and um, if you go to the Granicus page to pull up the agenda and you can read the description of the proposed um, list to that the staff is going to bring forward. And to that, the commissioners, we will look at it and offer our opinion and any input that we think may be uh, more precedent than, uh, than what has been listed. And for those of you that may have an idea of what you would like to see done, by all means, there's the opportunity to leave your comment in the e-comment of the Planning and Design Commission um, uh, agenda, whether on this discuss, uh, discussion item and or at the end of the agenda of matters not on the agenda. But since this matter is on the agenda, you actually have both uh, options to do so. And any comment that you fare to uh, put in there. So again, just a reminder for folks that may want to see what the uh, development community development department for the city of Sacramento is looking to prioritize in its um, uh, list of priorities for 2023 in the planning and design. Uh, in the planning design commission that will be before us this Thursday, five, this Thursday at five thirty PM. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Chair, I have no other speakers with their hands raised for public comment matters. Not on the agenda. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I see no hands raised for the committee and no more public comment speakers. So this is going to conclude our agenda for today. Thank you everyone for your participation. Again, thank you for our new members joining us. We will definitely be looking out for some young folks to join us. And this meeting is adjourned. Thank you all. <laughs>